Emmy Award-winning John Mulaney presents Everybody's in L.A., a special run of six live episodes created by and starring Mulaney that'll stream live on Netflix during the Netflix is a Joke Fest. The comically unconventional show will feature special guests where John Mulaney explores the city of Los Angeles during a week when every funny person is in it. Watch John Mulaney Presents Everybody's in L.A., debuting May 3rd live at 7 p.m. Pacific Time, only on Netflix. This episode is brought to you by Progressive, where drivers who save by switching save nearly $750 on average. Plus, auto customers qualify for an average of seven discounts. Quote now at Progressive.com to see if you could save. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. National average 12-month savings of $744 by new customers surveyed who saved with Progressive between June 2022 and May of 2023. Potential savings will vary. Discounts not available in all states and situations. There's no place to escape to. This is the last talk. On the left. That's when the cannibalism started. What was that? Are you guys on, what's it called, Twatch? Yo, Threads. Threads, no. yeah, Twatch. No, 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 I'm, I, I haven't decided if I'm going to do it, but I don't think I will. In an interesting uh, synchronicity, uh, Threads, which debuted yes. today... Threads debut today. Of course, it's the whole like Instagram thing. Threads is also the name of a movie in which nuclear bombs uh, destroy England. And it's yeah. about the consequences mm. of nuclear warfare. And that is actually just as destructive as social media. Synchronicity. <laughs> it really is. And yes. Let's hope that's the farthest it goes. Yeah, well, I don't think so. Yeah. Threads. That's because that's that's a good synchronicity. You know, what's also strange. Three days ago. Three days, not well. Three days ago, July third, nineteen forty-seven, is the anniversary of the Roswell incident. Oh, well, how is that a synchronicity with the Manhattan Project? I'm just saying, we're you'll gonna see. get into it. You'll okay. see. Okay. Get into but it. I want to talk about the real problem of the Manhattan Project. Mm-hmm. Okay, we've been talking a lot about sloughing. People have been really upset no, about gotta... like, us besmirching the good name and the good works the United States of America did during World War II, and then we kind of ruined it with, with you know, dropping a bunch of atomic bombs. Yeah. Right? Well, I got a bunch of DMs being like, good sloffy talk. It was. <laughs> Welcome to sloffy talk. Talk amongst yourselves. Why don't Whoa. you melt amongst yourselves? Oh, no. Um, but I realized one of the real true demons of the Manhattan Project is that there was, and this is true, one of the offshoots of the research within the Manhattan Project was the creation of Glitter. Gary Glitter. <laughs> His namesake. <laughs> glitter was created as a way to hold the plutonium, or it was kind of a, it was an idea that we could help like stabilize plutonium inside of the bomb. Yeah. But instead they just liked how it looked and they sprinkled it on a bunch of shit. Mm. Well, I mean, how much nicer would Nagasaki and Hiroshima look with a little bit of glitter? You see, glam atomic bomb. We got to glam it up. Glam, glam it up. atomic bomb. <laughs> also, now it's, it's skinny boy and it is non-binary individual. Interesting. <laughs> yes. And this is really what the LGBTQ community is looking for, is more representation within giant destructive bombs. Yep. <laughs> Sorry, guys. Halliburton's not gay anymore. It's no longer Pride <laughs> Month. Okay, everyone. Welcome to the last podcast on the left. Ben hanging out with Henry and Marcus. Holy hell, what a slog it's been. Slog? Uh, it's not been a slog. He's a, he doesn't understand its history. It's flights <laughs> what, of fancy. Uh, you guys are the ones who are always like, 
like, I'm so tired. I'm so tired. And I'm like, well, don't do all the work then. (laughs) Unbelievable. Come on. Okay, everyone. (laughs) Uh, We 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 just said two months of work. Two Two months months of work. And that's just of the show. That's just with yelling and talking on the show. Two months. Two months. (laughs) Two months? Okay. Manhattan Project, part six. And is this the final one, or is this going to be a nightmare on Elm Street? Are we going... This is called The Project Takes Manhattan. Okay, great. (laughs) This is uh, Friday the 13th, perhaps. So when we last left our story, Japan had surrendered to the United States, much to the relief of at least those in Japan who were slowly starving to death. Yeah. However, there were some ultranationalist fanatics in the military who didn't actually believe that the emperor would ever surrender, much like the soldiers who spent years and in some cases decades fighting private wars against nobody in particular. Wait a second. Are you talking about me? <laughs> there you go. I, uh, this is, it is interesting because you can kind of see where Supernova in the East talks a lot about the kind of the buildup of this like really intense war fever inside of Japan and the the adherence to the emperor and the belief of his sort of like deity-like status. You could see, though, how events like this that took place could show some proof that the Japanese were on some levels not, quote-unquote, ready to surrender ever. They would never would be. Some. And that's kind of like why they got their really intense reputation. Yeah. There's people still fighting the war today. Which ones? Well, you would have to go there <laughs> and uh, and ask him what's going on. I think now mostly they're into Coca-Cola products. Yeah. I've seen that giant robots. They love their Mecca. Uh, Ram- yeah. Ramuni is a very tasty soda. Okay. Yeah, it's got a little ball in it. Isn't that something? Do you like it better than Iron Brew? Absolutely not. I, okay. I, there's nothing I love more than Iron Brew, except for the possibility of Lemon Lime Solo, which I think may have been a fever Ugh. dream because nobody seems to know what the fuck I'm talking about. I had a can of it in a fucking airport in Australia, and I've never heard of it again. It's incredible, and yet gone forever. You okay. just went to the same universe where David Grush went to pull out those objects from the other. It's the other Marcus. Oh, <laughs> wow. Had that lemon lime soda. Wow, he's loving life. Well, indeed, the ultra-nationalists on the mainland were so deeply fanatic that the only explanation for a general surrender that they could possibly accept was that the man who'd given the address over the radio had been an allied imposter. Conspiracy theories Whoa. can happen anywhere and everywhere. Mm-hmm. Well, there's no way someone would do a voice interpretation over the radio. I, you, you can't <laughs> An impressionist? No, this wasn't quite as ridiculous as you might think. It's me, it's Ray Romano. Here. Oh my God, please don't do it's that. Ray Romano no, on no, the that was show. not an intro. Yeah, it's me, uh, Johnny Carson. Uh, <laughs> That's not even close. Johnny Carson. Uh, <laughs> Johnny like a glove. <laughs> don't even know what that is. Put that in a basket. It's an amalgamation of all of your past trauma. <laughs> well, <laughs> imitation wasn't really an issue because the radio address given by Emperor Hirohito was the first time that the Japanese population had ever heard his voice. Uh, no, it's me, not Ray Romano. <laughs> Emperor Hirohito to say, "Time for everybody to go to sleep. Sleepy time." Wait, is that the emperor? That's the guy who we think is a god. <laughs> yeah, I mean, this was kind of like hearing the voice of God. It was. Highly jarring for most of Japan, but Hmm. it also gave plenty of room for allegations of disinformation. 
Furthermore, most of Japan had no idea of the full extent of what had happened in Hiroshima and Nagasaki. No one did. No one did. So the idea that there was a super weapon laying in wait to raise the rest of their country, this was not on the forefront of most people's minds. I mean, it also makes sense because at the end of the emperor's address, he was like, and don't forget your tactical bath. You're going to want to buy a tactical bath. And for the and for the patriots out there, we've got patriot popcorn. And yeah, don't worry. We've separated the caramel from the cheddar. And oh my God, the plain popcorn. Uh, we call that the Jewish popcorn. <laughs> Very uh, interesting. Totally separated as well. I actually, when once he got into merch, yeah. I did not know it that Hirohito was going <sighs> to move so much. T-shirts, water bottles, cut corn, cut, cut corn, corn. <laughs> cut corn. See, that's good. That's why you got to write for Infowars. Yeah, somebody does. Well, as a result, because there are many people in the military who did not believe that Emperor Hirohito would ever surrender. 32 young Japanese officers stormed the emperor's palace in Tokyo, claiming that the man on the radio couldn't have been the real Hirohito because Hirohito would never surrender. Mm. In their zeal, these officers killed a commanding general and set fire to the home of the prime minister before filling it with bullets from a machine gun. Everybody kill this house! (laughs) And and one of the strangest things is one of the guys that stormed the building there, he actually played Jimmy Pesto. (laughs) On Bob's Burgers. God Bob's Lord, Burgers. Bob's Burgers. What Lord. was the point of that Bob's Burgers He's making reference. a January 6th reference. Oh, the guy who Jimmy the Pesto oh, storm the Capitol. I, think, I, yes. I know him best as the Herky Jerky the Man. The Herky Jerky Man. Yeah. Oh, yeah. That's even weirder. <laughs> they can't even, the audience can't see that when he stormed the Capitol. <laughs> well, by the... Every, <laughs> Entertainment for everyone. everyone. That's right. <laughs> Well, by the end of this highly misguided misadventure, six Japanese guards were dead and Mm. all 32 insurgents had been killed. The overreaction to the surrender, however, wasn't yet at an end. Around the same time as the attack on the emperor's palace, a group of ultra-nationalists were part of a secret society called the Black Dragon Society. That's cool. Yeah. Yeah. They also made two unsuccessful attempts at assassinating the prime minister. Well, they were kind of like, weren't they sort of a Japan supremacy group? Like, Mm. isn't it in that that world? Yeah, yeah, because they had a massive... That's why we got to here, is that they identified with the nationalist streak of the Nazi party. Yeah, well, it's ultra nationalist that's there's a reason why they put the ultra at the beginning of nationalist because this is far beyond anything that oh, you I might just thought see it, i thought it just left your engine cleaner well absolutely and it could i've also been drinking a lot of michelob ultra <laughs> see that's keeping his engine clean i haven't go. heard a rumble from his engine in quite a period of like honestly his farts are completely silent and i want to mm-hmm. thank michelob ultra for that <laughs> thank you very much well the next day after that double assassination attempt Ten young men calling themselves the Sonjo Gigun seized a hill within sight of the American embassy. And they then killed themselves by setting five grenades off simultaneously. Uh, excuse me, uh, Emperor Hirohito, I just got to you know, let you know, um, I, I know you're in the middle of a like, very long breakfast. Um, <laughs> but a couple of guys that we didn't really care about just ruined a hill. Yeah, I, well, that's kind of, I mean... What's the point of this? Well, now they're starting to change a little bit. Now they're starting to accept that Hirohito has indeed surrendered. So now the shame is setting in on the Japanese military. So they're blowing themselves up on hills now. Yes. Okay. When General Douglas MacArthur arrived in Japan with a corncob pipe hanging from his lips, 32 members of various ultranationalist secret societies disemboweled themselves in the act of Harikiri. 
on in oh, here. Jesus, simple hello would have <laughs> done. That's fucking sweet. He's been like, they love me. <laughs> just shows know. up, the guts just shooting out of him like it's a fucking New Year's Eve party paper. Yeah. And he's like, yeah, wow, gut busted. <laughs> like, seriously, Pamela, can you tell me, is it me? People keep on committing suicide as soon as they see me. Is it me? Yeah, I think it's you and the entire U.S. military mm. industrial complex behind you. It's still a little baby, though. <laughs> it is. Well, there was great meaning to General Douglas MacArthur setting foot on Japanese soil. This was the first time in Japan's 1,200-year history that an invading force had ever made it through. Wow. Yeah. The first time. And these guys were, I mean, they were stabbing themselves in the stomach in public mm-hmm. out of shame that they had allowed the defeat to occur. Did so, they do that to you when you showed up with Carolina? What? Did they start stabbing themselves as soon as they saw you at all? When uh, you went oh, to Japan? No, they welcomed abs- him in with, with open they arms. They loved tourism. Abs- absolutely not. We were actually mm-hmm. revered when we got there. Because revered. Revered, You yes. were revered. <laughs> yeah, yeah. A guy we came were- and he was just like, oh my God, oh my God. Because they thought he was Katie Lang. <laughs> because <laughs> she's Japanese huge over there. Katie Lang. Well, we love Katie Lang. Okay. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> no, it was weird. We were like, we were pointed at as like, funny Americans. Like, look at the tall Americans. So they were making fun of you, and then in your mind, in order revered. not to commit suicide, you were revered. It's called the comedian's mind. <laughs> I take the laughter at me, I flip it to with me. Yes. Oh. Revered. Okay. But while the mood around Japan was grim, to say the least, sounds like it, cities and towns across America erupted in celebration on the day that victory was declared over Japan, known thenceforth as VJ Day. Yeah, man, that's when all, everyone was Charleston and everybody yeah. had a balloon and then obviously they had to pop it because, again, airs for the soldiers. That's true, and it, that's but true. They were out there, whoo, man, that party, so much white casserole. <laughs> in New York City, two million people huddled into Times Square. Wow. One veteran described the celebration as 10 New Year's Eves all rolled into one. You wouldn't even oh, believe it. It was just, I couldn't even. Well, I mean, honestly, the way that the war aged the people, it kind of was. Yeah. It was. Yeah. Oh, yeah. By the next morning, the sidewalks in the garment district were five inches deep with scraps of fabric wow. that had been thrown as an impromptu ticker tape celebration. <laughs> yeah. You can't say it. We don't know how to party. <laughs> Here's some fabric. <laughs> this, however, was one of the celebrations that went well. What? The one that's been fondly remembered for nearly a century. Yeah, yeah. You Usually, this scene is what's shown at the end of most World War II documentaries as an example of innocent American jubilance and romanticism. Oh, yeah. We let Rosie the Riveter put a dress back on. (laughs) We went right back to it. And it was awesome. It was a great day, right? Yeah. But mm, over on the West Coast, the celebrations turn dark. Oh, God. In San Francisco, VJ Day celebrations mm-hmm. quickly devolved into a 72-hour riot, huh. the deadliest in the city's history. Has it ever stopped her? <laughs> I guess it's still going today. For three days straight, a riot crew made up of 90% soldiers and sailors held the city hostage. Oh, no. And by the end of it, a thousand people were injured. At least six, but probably dozens of women had been raped. And an even 100 we're dead. They, we just, n- they should not have booked Limp Biscuit for that. I feel like, yeah, exactly. I, yeah. I, I, they needed water. They needed porta yeah, bodies. Yeah. Um, so this was like the one what? like good day we had. 
<laughs> no, like it was like, like before everything. What are you like, talking about? The one good day we had. I mean, in terms of like after World War II, as far as before, a nation, and they yeah, ruined it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's just yeah like, San it was, Francisco ruined it with the three days of mayhem. Well, why wow. did they riot? Yeah, I, I don't actually get it. That's well, how we party. Yeah, I mean, why do people riot after fucking Super Bowl victories? Well, because why do they, it's very why do they rare riot? when the fucking Packers make it to the Super Bowl, <laughs> and if they do win, no, actually in Wisconsin. They just eat. Yeah. They do. Well, think of it this way. This is a Super Bowl riot, a fucking Stanley Cup riot, yes. all, uh, at times a thousand. Right. It's that same energy. So it, started, it probably started off with Jubilee. I, and then, okay, well, let's we'll get, get into, into it. it. Let's get into it. Now, the San Francisco VJ Day riots began on Market Street, okay. where thousands of drunken soldiers and sailors jammed and gridlocked the streets. Oh, yeah. I know that whole area. Mm-hmm. See, guy, you can see. You, you can imagine it being yeah. jammed. It's beautiful now. The police, meanwhile, have been told to, quote, let the people do anything within reason. That's the exact same as now as well. <laughs> okay. Yeah. That leeway, of course, was San Francisco's fatal mistake. Mm. Soon, soldiers and sailors were climbing onto the roofs of jammed streetcars okay. where drunken Marines clumsily tried to reenact the famous flag-raising photo <laughs> from Iwo Jima. <laughs> so far, fun. that's fun. <laughs> that's just good old-fashioned yeah. fun. Yeah. That is fun, yeah. But once the revelers got a little taste of chaos... It was off to the races for the greatest generation. Ah, they just need to be able to dye their hair. This is yeah. what guys, they, they need more outlets. There wasn't any, was there hair dye then? They just got done killing a bunch of people. You figured they'd all get it out of their system. Uh, absolutely. They did not get done. Fini- mm-hmm. They did not just finish killing a bunch of people. And that's part of the point. We'll ah, get to that here in a these second. These may have been the scallywags that didn't do anything at all. The soldiers and sailors began setting fires, smashing windows, overturning cars. And according to witnesses, gang-raping women. As one reporter put it, you couldn't stop the crowd with anything short of tear gas and fire hoses, and yet the city of San Francisco did little to stop the mayhem. Yeah, they could have tried the tear gas and the fire hoses. Once the gang rape starts, I feel like then we can move on to other methods of stopping the crowd. (laughs) I just don't think that we're even celebrating the victory anymore. No, no, no. And that's true when it comes to the Super Bowl. After two hours post-Super Bowl, they forgot why they're partying. Oh, yeah, now (laughs) the idea is it's some expression of a group rage that has been embedded within a community, and then they are unleashing it for some reason. Well, I mean, this is, no, I, this is not. I'm talking ra- about Super Bowl, like, oh, you know, right, right, what right. Philly does every year, no matter what happens. <laughs> yeah, they're upset. <laughs> no, this isn't a rage thing. This is a little more complicated than that. Now, as opposed to the guys and dolls in New York who've been fighting in the European theater for years, those are the guys who had spent years killing people. And that's why those were, that was a nice celebration, because those guys had basically just seen a bunch of horrible shit, now they're just, try- like, that one woman said she wasn't really kissed with her consent. Mm-hmm. It's in the famous picture. Yeah. But, you know, at the same, that guy was was fine at it at the time. <laughs> the majority of the soldiers and sailors rioting in San Francisco had never seen combat. These boys were draftees waiting to be sent to the Pacific, hmm. where they'd been told that they would most likely be entering into a years-long hellscape battling the quote-unquote savage Japanese on their home turf. Furthermore, it was being said over and over and over again in the press that at least a million combat troops would be killed taking the Japanese homeland. I feel like that should be kind of a sense of relief then. Well, that's the that's thing. I would be happy I didn't go, yeah. Well, I mean, Okay, let's put it this way. Thankfully for my family's honor, my papa, he was in boot camp on VJ Day over in California. No one's in, no one's no one's indicting your family here. <laughs> no, no, we're not coming <laughs> yeah, for your no, family. Well, but that's just yeah. to say okay. he did not participate in the riots. But from what he told me, he was, to put it lightly, 
a bit worried about going up against the Japanese. As, as anybody would be. Yeah. Yeah, man. I don't, I mean, you're just. I don't want to go to war. Yeah. Never mind Half a world you. war. I don't want to go to a localized war. Yeah. I don't want to go to a city based <laughs> war. Well. I just want to have, you know what? Because what is war good for? Nothing. Except for helping the economy. <laughs> there you go. Now, this is, of course, no excuse for the behavior of the servicemen in San Francisco, but it does give you a glimpse into just how relieved America was following the use of the atomic bomb and how grateful they were to have such a weapon. An incredible tension had been broken, but it had not been mm. broken with a prolonged Navy blockade or a diplomatic solution as it should have been. It was broken by a big fucking bang. Two big bangs, in fact, the likes of which the world had never seen. Mm -hmm. And I think that may have had a little bit of influence on the behavior of the soldiers and sailors in San Francisco. There is definitely a sense that we showed our gigantic cock and balls to the world when we set off two atomic bombs in war, wartime scenario. And I think that they could see that as sort of a they got swept into it. And there is also something to be said. I mean, a lot of these guys mm -hmm. were Marines. They were sailors. There is something to be said for, you know, training these guys to kill, 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 kill for months and months and months at a time. And then all of a sudden, you're not going to be killing anymore. Instead, you don't have to do anything, but you still have that instinct within right. you to kill, 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 violence, violence, violence. You know what you got to do. And that's just how it was expressed. 1940s America. I don't know if you guys are aware of this. A lot of wild hogs. <laughs> You got to take these folks down to Texas and get them on the wild hogs. Oh, I agree. You got to have, have them fight the hogs. Have them fight the hogs. Ben, I'm sorry. I got to drop a little bit of Texas knowledge oh, on you. Oh. The Why wild did you hogs that? did not come until much later. Yeah. The wild hog problem didn't really come until, until the <laughs> 90s when actual hogs, when actual pigs started getting turned out into the population. They started breeding with boars and then just shit got oh. out of hand. So wild hogs were nowhere See? near as pervasive you fucking back in the idiots. 40s. Uh, well, who knows? Either way, what I'm saying is they should have directed their anger towards something that deserved it. I do feel like when you keep saying wild hogs coming to Texas, it does sound like a big fat man version of the Hawaiian Tropic Girls. Just going around just yeah. having men rub them with lard and shit. Just like being like, yeah, that's Ted. I like them shiny. I love the Hawaiian hogs. Coming to Abilene, Texas. Well, you better watch out. You better hold that. Oh, you better cover them soup canteens because the wild hogs running. You can't keep a bowl Empty. We got the wild that. hogs at midnight rodeo from Whoa. Friday to Sunday. You can't even see their dicks. That's great. <laughs> what time does it start? <laughs> now, once the rioters in San Francisco got all tuckered out on the first day, mm. the violence died down. That's when um, Nora Jones was doing her set. Oh, oh very fantastic. I saw her at uh, Willie Nelson's <laughs> 90th birthday party, and she did a fantastic song. With Chris Christopherson. Really oh. great. Do you remember which song? They sang the same one twice. Chris doesn't really know how to sing anymore. Mm. But he is indeed the greatest generation. <laughs> <laughs> he was after the greatest generation. Wasn't he, was, he the he was, greatest gen? He was Vietnam. He's Vietnam. Yeah. Okay. Top Navy brass, however, even after the first day of writing, they did not cancel leave. Ah. They did not admonish their men. Ah. Instead, they politely requested that the sailors and soldiers return to their ships. Guys, come back. Guys, they basically gave them a guys. Yeah, guys. come on, guys. Let's go 69 back in the vessel. Come on, guys. <laughs> 
The guys didn't. Yeah. Of course. No, they didn't. I toured one of those fucking submarines on the wharf there in San Francisco. I don't know how any of them aren't gay. That's where my <laughs> father- Because there was no room. I, I would be so fucking scared on that thing. I feel like the one thing that keeps you truly from Oof. being gay in a submarine is the smell. Uh, I, think that's what just, I think that's who cares at this point. I just mm. feel like everybody, the food is bad enough. Oh. The idea of a submariner's dick going in and out of your mouth, I feel like on some level is unpleasant. Who and knows? the dried cum. The dried cum. Oh, it's definitely Flaking still everywhere. cum everywhere. People are jerking <laughs> off their young just, boys. That's true. Psoriasis that's true. just in general. But according to my father, he said they were like, they didn't get gay until they surfaced. <laughs> well, interesting. I want to do it for show. Live from your grave. The only acceptable reason to interrupt a podcast, your dog. That was your dog saying thank you for BarkBox. You can take a minute now. You bet your dog. But you're going to learn about Bark. It's the company dedicated to making dogs happy. Yay. Every month, BarkBox decides and delivers a whole new collection of toys and treats just for your best bud. No, Wendy, I can't get you a whip. You're too cute for weapons. Every treat is made with yummy, healthy, all-natural ingredients like pumpkin and sweet potato. Mmm, tubers. My dogs love their toys selectively. But BarkBox sends good little ones for their little tiny mouths. They have little mouths, but strong, big spirits. So they fight over the little toys. I imagine they think that they are hunting and going after little bugs and rats and oh they love their life and they love the they love what bark box brings because bark box brings the bark and puts it in a box yep to get your free upgrade go to barkbox.com slash l-e-f-t my sister is the best gift giver i've ever met of any person it's jackie zabrowski she shops all year thinking about her family and friends and puts little things aside for their birthdays and Christmases. I have no idea how she does it. I don't know how she do it, but guess what? She always wins Mother's Day, but not this year. I'm coming back. Ready to win Mother's Day and cement your reputation as the best gift giver in the family? I'm taking the crown. All right, give the moms in your life an aura digital picture frame preloaded with decades of family photos. I mean this. We have the aura frame up in my home. We absolutely love it. I can put photos on it very, very easily through the app. It's fun to do. And the memories keep cycling and I get emotional. And we filled it with pictures of Carmi and Wendy. And that is not sad. That is celebratory. So you should try it. It's honestly a really good product. Right now, Aura has a great deal for Mother's Day. Listeners can save on the perfect gift by visiting AuraFrames.com to get $30 off plus free shipping on their best-selling frame. That's A-U-R-A-Frames.com. Use code LEFT at checkout to save. Terms and conditions apply. Well, the riots continued for another two days. More women were raped. Far more people of both genders were seriously injured. And a hundred people died, either as a consequence of the chaos or in trying to stop it. They're what killing the cops. Do you guys just remember this is about the war being over? Yeah, this is a horrible <laughs> way to celebrate, San yes. Fran. Come and, on. And this is the so-called greatest generation as well. I know you continue to dig. Yeah, because Tom broke Because <laughs> those assholes spent so many fucking years looking down on every generation after them. 
Oh, we did so great. Oh, we were so honorable. Oh, we did this. Oh, we you did that. You have so much weird anger. <laughs> he does. I have nothing. I but feel I, nothing. I, you know what's funny is that I, I, I'm here. I again, we did we, this last week when he got real hot, hardcore on it. I like seeing hot take, Marcus. No, I, I like feeling this heat because I just view us all as the same fucking. I don't think time's real. You know, and that's my main issue is that we're even talking about this. I don't think any of this even technically happened. I think this was in another Earth, and we're actually diverted into another timeline somewhere around 1947, and it doesn't even matter looking back on these people. Yeah, yeah that's a good way to handle the past by just pretending it never happened. I just yeah. kind of just coast on that. And you're misunderstanding my anger. It's actually less about the it's condescension. Bitterness. It's, bitterness. it's not bitterness, not at all. It's about historical accuracy. It's about actually looking at the history mm. of America with open eyes and actually seeing what actually happened mm -hmm. in this country throughout its fucking entirety without sucking the dicks of anybody whoa, that whoa, don't deserve their whoa. dicks to be sucked. I will say, in terms of a Satanist point of view, it was good that the greatest generation did these horrible things to make us on top. That is kind of the idea, right? We can thank them for our lovely Apple computer. We can thank <laughs> them for these, the look at my shoe the... culture. Wow, but these shoes are really green. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know what I mean? Like, we can really. <laughs> we're green shoes. Not the people in San Francisco. We'll exclude them. We'll, we'll do a carve out. <laughs> we're going to do a greatest generation carve out. If you're in San Francisco at this time, you're not part of it. And you're, you're on dead. the bad list. You're yeah. dead. Because I do believe there's one left. There's one greater generation person left. There's one world. I think there's more than one World I War II. I don't know. There's one that they can talk to. <laughs> yeah, 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 okay, yeah. One guy a, who yeah. doesn't just go, bashy, bashy, <laughs> yes. Yeah. There's one guy who's so like, but you don't want to really hear what he has to say. No. For the most part, we know that they're still alive, but from the other side, because they're still getting arrested yeah. for war crimes. <laughs> But in the end, no one was charged with murder in the San Francisco riots. No one was really charged with anything of consequence. At worst, they were thrown in the drunk tank. And as a result, the deadly riot quietly slipped into the dustbin of history mm. in favor of a feel-good picture of a handsome sailor kissing a pretty gal amidst a moment of jubilation. I really thought we were going to have one pleasant moment. It does seem <laughs> like, like in the show. I mean, the one but in New York was nice that, because then you go down to McSorley's, you have your, your, your uh, what is it, just white or, is it white McSorley's or red? Yeah. is extremely overrated. Yeah. No. That's my hot was, take. No, you want to talk I about know. my true hot oh my take? God. That's my hot take. Yeah. And I'm going to say, that moment in New York, I did give you that. That Thank was you. a nice moment. Sweet. See? Hot yeah. dogs. Get your hot dogs here. It's <laughs> <laughs> like I was happy. Yeah. yeah. Now, while America was celebrating the end of a four-year war, rightfully so, for those who didn't behave like those in San Francisco, there were plenty of good ones. That's good. Out there in America. See? The horrors of Hiroshima and now Nagasaki. Oh, right back. <laughs> right fucking back. But you know, the strangest thing is, as soon as they dropped the bomb, they played this clip from a guy named Urkel. And it was like, and it just <laughs> he said, said, did, did I, I do, do that? that? Yeah. yeah. Those horrors were getting exponentially worse. Uh. Hundreds of crows filled the sky. <laughs> Good Jesus lord. Fucking it came Halloween town. I, I didn't know. know Jack Skellington was there. Hundreds of crows. Man, I do love a good crow. They're, they're so smart. They give you treats if you feed them. Yeah, well, do. guess what, man? They weren't getting any treats in fucking Hiroshima. No. Hundreds of crows filled the skies above both cities, occasionally landing to pick the flesh <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. No, we have to get through it. No, it's, we have it, to get through it's this. It's real. This is real. This is absolutely this real. This is real. So from the streets of San Francisco, yeah, be yeah, sure to bring. Yeah, yeah, yeah I got my rice aroni on one flower side in your hair, and maybe a shank. Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. Let's try one more time. And now here we go. Crows eating human flesh. Hundreds of crows yep. filled the skies above both cities, 
occasionally landing to pick the flesh from the radioactive dead. Oh, Lord. Get the lead out or whatever. Yeah, these grows are going to end up being radioactive. They were. Oh. And so, to prevent animals from treating their countrymen as carrion, and possibly just to do something, the survivors began to gather the corpses for mass cremations across both cities. Mm. Oil was poured on corpse piles that were described as mountainous, then set on fire. Mm. But because of the nature of the injuries sustained was so poorly understood, people inside the funeral pyre who had merely been unconscious came crawling out oh of the my pile God. when they found themselves set on fire. This, hey like, guys, I'm actually fine. You I'm know fine. what? Oh. Actually, I'll just stay. <laughs> I seriously <laughs> might. At this point... Oh, crows are eating the radiated dead? <laughs> yeah. Hey, just throw some kerosene. Yeah, add some kerosene, please. Please, uh, just get it done with faster. Some actually had enough in them to run out. So there's these gigantic mountains of corpses, and there's, people, and there's people on fire running around them. It's incredible. I don't like this new burning man. Mm. 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 You get it. <laughs> Cancelable. <laughs> That's what I'll say. Cancelable. Cancelable. Oh, no. In other parts of the city, the bodies were stacked in a manner so haphazard that identifying them became impossible. In one case, two men argued over an unrecognizably scorched body laying between their houses because both of them claimed that the corpse was that of their wife. Wow. Are we still this talking is, about San Francisco? Oh, my God. This is like the worst version yeah, of the take my wife, please thing I've ever heard <laughs> That of. is bad. That is bad. Yeah, that's, man. Others found only traces of family members, something as small as a ring, which became the only way to identify a blackened corpse or, in some cases, a pile of ashes. In another case, a woman identified the eyeless corpse of her mother by the gold tooth in her mouth, which had been left wide open by the scream she'd let loose as she died. But as far as the dead I'm went... surprised the gold didn't melt, truly. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Well, she actually probably had been killed in the firestorm afterwards. Because See, God, she, you yeah. almost... You, you almost, almost let one thing kind of just lie yeah, there. Yeah. yeah because and he just said, actually, what you were going to say is actually afterwards. much worse. It's actually a lot worse. Yeah. Yeah. But as far as the dead went within the radius of the most extreme radioactive exposure, they were the lucky ones. Burn wounds on the most badly exposed stubbornly refused to heal and began to decay while the victim was still alive, attracting insects <sighs> that usually waited until the victim had died. As one childhood memory went, a boy was attempting to take care of the burns on his mother's hands, legs, and back, in addition to a cracked skull. Like so many others, her burns wouldn't heal, but when the skin dried and peeled off, the boy saw why. His mother's flesh underneath her skin was infested with maggots that swarmed from underneath. Once the skin peeled off, though, flies soon joined the maggots. <sighs> They covered the exposed wounds in such number that the child found himself in the endless task of gently picking them off one by one so as to cause the least amount of pain to his mother. Do you know that Tim Allen turned down the pilot of Turner and Hooch? Is that and right? And Ted Poet Society. They were going to make that, Thank like, literally God. television shows. Yeah. And he turned that down to make fucking Home Improvement. <laughs> oh, well, he actually chose right with Home Improvement. And Turner and Hooch, underrated Tom Hanks, classic. Yeah. Well, it's a dog. So, it's a cop. I mean, it's it's fantastic. Yeah. And, of course, that's Hooch. Um, 
<laughs> but from what the boy later said, his mother never really complained about the pain or the obvious itch. The ultimate itch. martyr move. Honestly, it does yeah. feel like what my mom would do. Be like, oh, this no, oh, don't worry about me. <laughs> There's nothing wrong. Oh, yes. The bugs of the dead have been attracted to a living being. Yeah. But don't even think about taking care of me. Yes, <laughs> Or you indeed. go live your life. Hmm. Instead, yeah. instead, all she would say was, I'd like to eat a peach over oh. and over and over again. Do we have any peaches? Some actually they one weren't. of the relatives did travel and she found a peach Good. eventually. Um, but this went on for a month before this woman finally died. Oh, mama. However, it's probable that this woman didn't just die from her wounds or from infection. Most likely, she joined the ranks of short-lived survivors who died horrible deaths in the weeks and months after the initial blasts by way of radiation sickness. Now, in 1950, a Japanese survey estimated that a combined 368,259 people had survived the atomic blasts. 18 had survived both. These survivors came to be known by the derogatory term of hibakusha, meaning survivor or exposed one. Derogatory yeah, term? Yeah, why is that bad? I feel like that means you made it. Well, it was derogatory in its context. Ah. If one was a hibakusha, they would live as pariahs in Japanese society for the rest of their lives because many people in the rest of the country erroneously believed that radiation exposure and therefore radiation sickness could be contagious interesting. and lifelong. I did not know that. That's very, very interesting. These people were believed by some to be permanently radioactive, and as a result, they couldn't get jobs, and they were forbidden from marrying into certain families. In the uh, Hiroshima, in their own mm. words documentary, a guy talks about it, how you know he would hide it from everybody. He would hide his scars. Uh, he met a nice girl, and then the family found out. You know, They started asking yeah. him questions. Where are you from? And eventually, he had to say Hiroshima. And the second he said Hiroshima, they said, exposed one get out of here you can't marry our daughter That's, and that it, happened again and again and again to these people for their entire lives it also sucks. sounds like an internalized there's all it does and it does sound like they it's an internalized thing of the shame involved in quote unquote losing the war sure. and kind of we brought this amongst ourselves there is that vibe right because they, they the people would take the failures of the government onto themselves because yeah. they identified so hard with their own culture as, as they would. So it's like it is interesting to see that we're like just even the, the compartmentalized shame yeah. within their communities yeah. to deny the memory, to get away from the memory. We yeah. could use a little bit more shame in this culture, but not that much. We just need <laughs> not a, that much. We need right. like a, a a dollop of shame. Yeah. yeah. But we need yeah. it in different places. We need right. to take all we have too much shame on sex. We need to take that off and just play that Sprinkle it around through other places. Back on the violence. And the then these like politicians, again, they should be shamed every month to remember. Each one should be, they should be paraded out in diapers, chained ankle to ankle, just so they are no, we can tell them, remember, this is your place. Mm -hmm. You're a bunch of little servants who are supposed to food. do what we do, tell you to do. You throw the rotten food at They should be classic. scared of us. Yeah, yeah, we should rename congressmen Shit Kids. That would be incredible. Shit kids. Yeah. there we go. Also a great band. It oh, is. Yeah, yeah, Shit Absolutely, kid. sure. 
Well, in addition to fearing the exposed ones for false reasons, there was the very real fact that any of these people could suddenly drop dead from all manner of cancers. Mm. And as we'll cover later, any of them could be taken off their jobs at a moment's notice to be studied by Americans who found the after effects of the nuclear bomb to be absolutely fascinating. Fascinating. Well, because you know what? We'll get into we'll get into all the granular details there. It is it's thick. It's very Yeah, they didn't get any complex. superpowers. It seems like it was really bad. Nope, no incredible hulks here. No, no or Ant Man oh. or a whole bunch of other stuff. Yeah. Now as far as the dead went, recent estimates put the final death toll at a far higher number than what was touted by General Leslie Groves in the immediate aftermath of the bombings. It was estimated that 140,000 people were dead by the end of 1945, and within five years, 200,000 were dead. See, that, that bomb gives you extra for your buck. Oh, yeah. Yeah, more bang for your buck indeed. When it came to Hiroshima, 54% of their population had died mm. as a result of the little boy bomb. Also, remember, the estimates are based off the concept that they thought that these bombs were just going to kill everybody clean. Yeah. And they were just right. going to just show up. It was going to explode everybody. They're all going to burst into dust and we wouldn't even have to clean anything up. We would just go and see this cleared land mm -hmm. and be so happy that we did it. We just have the number. We just say, like, that's it. Well, eventually we did develop that, though. It's called the neutron bomb. Wow. <laughs> nice. Man, hey, nothing we can't do. That's right, Johnny <laughs> Neutron. In the days and weeks after the bombing, 71% of Hiroshima's population and 69% of nice. Nagasaki. <laughs> no, Henry. No. This is not that kind of no. 69. This is bad 69. 69% of Nagasaki and 71% of Hiroshima experienced to some degree what was first called atom bomb illness, but soon came to be known as radiation sickness. To put into perspective just how much radiation was created by Little Boy and Fat Man, the nuclear incident at Chernobyl created a radiation exposure that peaked at 500 rads. And that actually converts to 1,500 groovies. Wow, <laughs> that is crazy. And 3,000 radicals. <laughs> Indeed, that is a big bomb. Actually, that's what rads is sh short for, is radicals. Yeah, sure, sure, yeah. sure, sure. That's fun. Groovies is just when you try to talk to hit guys. Yes, groove indeed. I've heard it's in the heart. <laughs> it is. It's actually a serious condition for a lot of people. Yeah, I know. By comparison, the in-air doses of gamma rays from the uranium bomb at Ground Zero in Hiroshima, that was over 10,000 rads. Mm -hmm. I mean, you're just saying numbers here, buddy. I, I don't know how to quantify it's, that. It, a lot of gunk. Yeah. A lot but, of gunk? Okay, think about how deadly Chernobyl was. Like, they talk mm -hmm. about the elephant foot. They talk about how dangerous Chernobyl was. That's 500. Okay. Hiroshima? That's 10,000. Yeah. It's a much larger it number. It's it a big. larger number. It's bigger. It's more groovies than the last one. Yeah. Worst thing about having an elephant foot is it never forgets. forgets. Never, never forgets. But Always what, remembers the horrors of Chernobyl. But what would a foot need to forget? Oh, just where to go. <laughs> yeah, but I was a foot. I wouldn't, remember, I wouldn't remember every single time I stepped on dog poop. Oh, forget it. Yeah. That's Na gone. Well, Nagasaki was even worse. That was 25,100 rad. That's, fucking That's a higher number than the ones before. Yeah. It's almost not groovy at all. Yeah. Wow. All the science people are just mad. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> mad at us. Well, no, it just means it's a lot. It's yeah. a lot. Each rad increases the chances of radiation sickness and increases how bad it's going to get. And I'm about to get into the worst of how bad it gets. As a result, cases of serious radiation sickness reached three miles from ground zero. 
Now, those who didn't die in the blast or soon after the blast seemed to improve in the days afterwards, Mm. giving the doctors a little bit of hope that maybe the worst was over. But within a week, radiation sickness began to take hold as those who were severely exposed began to fall apart from the inside out. Oh, I don't like that. Because they really thought that it would take a long time to die from radiation The Manhattan exposure. Project scientists. Yes, yeah. they thought that... Why would they, they think that? Well, it's because every other... Uh, Example we've had of radiation exposure mm-hmm. showed someone that you got basically a little bits at a time, and they thought that eventually you would kind of grow. You get sick. You got Madame Curie. Yeah, sure. right. Was an example of died it. at sixty four. Died at sixty four, okay. but younger than she should have. But like the ideas are well, like she still like had a life, and they kind of thought that this would be that they would hold true no matter what. That you kind of would get these things. They, they, they were wrong. Yeah, yeah. We'll see what happens in Florida. They're paving the highways now with radioactive materials, so we'll see what happens. God, another reason to not go. Well, I mean, everyone's gonna be dead soon. <laughs> <laughs> well. Radiation sickness usually began with hair falling out in large clumps, bleeding from the mouth, gums, throat, rectum, and urinary tracts soon followed, Mm. literally bleeding out of your dick. Oh, gosh. And that was in addition to nausea and loss of appetite. Then came... Yeah, I could see the loss of appetite. I I mean, just because of the mirror. Just the whole thing is pretty not appetizing. Yeah. Then came the bloody vomit and diarrhea as the victim's body began to seriously hemorrhage. So terrified were people of radiation sickness that many survivors woke up every morning and they tugged on their hair to see if they were the next to die of a condition that was, at the time, barely understood but greatly feared. Mm. As we now know, radiation sickness affects the body by causing rapid cell division, but the radiation itself temporarily suppresses the action. It's delayed. Mm. And once that wears off, internal tissues and organs rapidly begin to collapse into an unrecognizable bloody mess. Yeah, you, you, it's like what the machine from the fly does, but it does it like inside of your body over and over again. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you got to make sure no fly sneaks in there. No. Mm. The radiation causes massive tissue death, massive hemorrhage, and massive infection. This caused one doctor to compare the radiation death sicknesses to the Black Death of the 1300s in terms of the sheer number of deaths and the carnage that came with them. I got a really good email this morning as I was researching that I thought was real. It was he, he this guy? He was great. But he was basically saying, imagine just the spookiness of radioactive material in general. It is rocks that come from the earth that glow, they literally glow in, in dark, that you look at it, and they dissemble any sort of matter that is in a circle around it. And so imagine that mm. vaporized, just like spread across all this stuff, and all it does is turn everything into fucking soup. Yep. I don't like it. When autopsies were performed on victims in Nagasaki, doctors found upon opening the bodies that the internal veins had been torn to shreds. And as far as the organs went, They were so badly destroyed that they had begun to decay even before the victim had themselves died. The organs died first. Okay, you don't don't want that. Quite quitting. You want to time it? Yeah, that's what happened. (laughs) It was millennials. The (laughs) organs were made of millennials. Have you heard? Millennials have ruined the having an eternal organs business. (laughs) Another another casualty. Millennial culture. We're the greatest generation. Well, as a result. When the bodies were cremated, they gave off a strange smell. Most assumed that it was because of the radiation. But as those experienced in cremation pointed out at the time, it was in fact because the bodies being burned 
or simultaneously in two different stages of decay. See, a lot of times what I found wow. is that if you don't know what that flavor is, it's fish sauce. <laughs> oh, it could be. Oh, that's common. That is common. But I don't know if that's really the case here. No. I'm surprised they actually went the burning route. I don't know what the safest way is. That, that, to that is technically the, still yes, the safest it? way. Yeah. yeah, that's the safest way. And it's uh. also the only way that, I mean, they're not going to dig. You know, there's right. no there's no other way to get rid of these bodies. And they, they also Blunt. know that, you know, the more bodies you have, the more disease you have. Right. You got to get if you have a bunch of bodies, you got to get rid of them fast. Yeah. Yeah, buddy. Every Sunday. I know. <laughs> I got I a know. bunch of bodies. His, oh, God damn it. I, it's kind of nice because it's like that's kind of me and Kissel's bonding time. Yeah. yeah. When I can go, I help him with his pyramid of bodies. <laughs> Obviously, yeah. um, we're not because. Because I can't ask questions about that, yeah, I can ask questions about him. Yeah, exactly. And I can get to know him more. And exactly. I find out stuff like, you know, he loves the color orange. Wow. I don't hate it. Green is my favorite color, huh. but orange is fine. <laughs> this is part of our, and then I was just like, is this the fuck? Is this your fucking uh, lookalike of your mother? Yeah. Oh, you know I, mean? I would never do that to my mother. <laughs> <laughs> I just want her near me. <laughs> Full of holes. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> By the eight-week mark, though, deaths by acute radiation poisoning began to cease, although the long-term effects carried on for decades. Leukemia cases began two years after and peaked at eight years after. Mm. But every survivor had a far higher chance than the average person of all manner of cancers for the rest of their lives. I ex My conspiracy theory little thought in my own head is I thought... That may be that they thought that these diseases would because they he thought they thought they were long term things that would slowly come about. So I figured in my mind that maybe they thought, well, once they the start Manhattan Project. the Manhattan Project people, guys, that like at some point we'll start to see this information come out. But it'll be decades after the fact when they'll have written all these exposés. We won't have to deal with it till later on. We'll all be dead. By the time they're talking about the actual like repercussions of these bombings. But it turned out it was day three. Yeah. Now, as far as what the people behind the Manhattan Project knew about the possible side effects of the bomb, the dangers of radiation in at least a lab setting have been well documented since the 1920s. As we said, Marie Curie, like they knew that her journals were still radioactive. Her and they can make you sick. Yeah. They'll make you sick being yeah. around them. It makes you sick. Yeah. If you're around them for a long time or if you're exposed to like Marie Curie died many years later because of how many x-rays she was exposed to during World War One. I. I also got some good thing on the radium. You know, it's still not good to just be touching radium. No, but you got to ingest it. I, you, but you shouldn't do any of it. I would say <laughs> let radium use a glove. Use a glove. In the Manhattan Project itself, all laboratories monitored radiation exposure constantly, and they had precise handling procedures for nuclear material to prevent long-term exposure, like Marie Curie. Nobody, however, had seen what acute radiation poisoning might do to a large population. Like, what if we turn it into a purified gas that just goes into you? Because also, radiation just goes through all of your cells like it doesn't have to go like especially in that form mm -hmm. like it's just everywhere and it just zips right through your body back and forth as the wind blows it back and yeah forth. and that's the mm -hmm. thing the wind carries radiation everywhere that's why after chernobyl there were so many cases of cancer in a vast 
large Huge circle. Yeah, and that's it, actually that's what the biggest danger of a nuclear meltdown actually is, is that it's not the immediate surrounding area. It's everywhere else. It's, uh, it's where the wind takes the radioactivity. You want to get some big fans, put them around, just have them facing out. <laughs> yeah, to the White House. Yeah. Uh, this guy, uh, 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 it's kind of crazy because Robert Oppenheimer, even he said after all of this, he made a little like, like when the bomb drops and all kind of, and there was like, you know, obviously celebrating for a couple of days or, and then everyone's like, what did we just do? Robert Oppenheimer said that he thought that theoretically his statement that the radiation would have uh, basically not have made it to the ground. Yeah. He thought that it would have dissipated before mm. it got to everybody. And he was also wrong. Yes, yeah. he was. And I think that the or, or purposefully lying. Yeah. Well, I think they called it fallout after the fact. It's false. Yeah. Well, the scientists of the Manhattan Project, I think they were certainly smart enough to speculate. The problem was that their scientists were so preoccupied with whether or not they could, they didn't stop to think they should. Whoa! Yep. You can't handle the truth! Uh, 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 fine, sir. Uh, 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 oh, hey. Oh, my God, Jeff. <laughs> go on, bloom. So be, I could be anybody. You really are super talented. Jurassic Park. You're going to want to check out that movie. That's a good one. That came out in 92 or 94. 94. So that's a good one. That's only almost 20 years ago. No, it's only eight years old. Yeah, that's uh, so actually that's far more old. than 20 years ago. Yeah. That's 30 years ago. It's 30 years ago. Mm-hmm. Holy fucking shit. <laughs> <laughs> now, by late August 1945, about three weeks after the bomb dropped, international media outlets began picking up stories from the Japanese press about a mysterious and deadly illness that had no doubt been caused by the bombs. General Leslie Groves, however, went into damage control mode immediately and dismissed the stories as Japanese propaganda meant to garner sympathy. See? That's but, all you gotta do. Yeah, that's all you gotta <laughs> do. No. How about not? Not. <laughs> but General Leslie Groves, I think in many ways, it's also personal. Because Robert Oppenheimer also went in hard right afterwards to say, like, you know, we're trying to kind of validate, figure these things out. I think General Leslie Groves in many ways. Yes, he was trying to save his ass and he was trying to save like the view of the Manhattan Project to history. But I also think that there was a great sense of guilt from what I was reading about him. And denial. And he did not, they did not know that when you literally use the building blocks of the universe itself, that it might not be good. It might be a Pandora's box. Maybe yeah. they allowed themselves to be willfully ignorant yes. on yeah. it. Because they had to know something was going to go wrong. Oh, yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. 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 They just thought maybe just big explosion. Yeah, well, the Grove said the only reason why the death toll kept rising was because they were finding more bodies. Well, that makes sense. And technically, Leslie, that doesn't make it better. <laughs> no, does it? Well, he, said, he said during that, but they were, that was happening during the rest of the effort. I think that those I bodies see. shouldn't count, and they should only be one day of counting bodies. <laughs> yeah. What if we named one of the bombs Mulligan? <laughs> <laughs> Now, Groves willfully ignored what he was being told about what was happening in both cities because soldiers showed up in Nagasaki pretty soon after the bomb dropped. And that's the thing. U.S. soldiers? Yes. Probably not safe for them either, to be honest. But but that also tells you how little they understood it because they're sending U.S. soldiers in there to check it out. 
If they thought it was that dangerous, they wouldn't have done that. That's why I do well, think that there is a there is a level of ignorance about what the fuck they just did. Yes. I don't think that they under they just did not fully appreciate that we're gonna melt people here. No, they didn't think about it hard enough. No, like they they only yeah. thought about the bomb. They only they're trying about, to end the war. Yeah, they only thought about making the bomb, or they're trying to fucking beat the Germans. Yeah, like and they're only thinking about making the bomb. All the problems about mm-hmm. dropping the bomb. They're not putting any thought into what the bomb's actually gonna do afterwards. That's the thing with scientists, man. Very focused. But if you get them off track, it's just like, what are you even talking about? Yeah, it's very scary. And he turned out a lot of their stuff because this is the problem. So once you get them off track, you find out everything they're doing is going to like yeah. irrevocably change history. It's going to make a bunch of people turn into like sock puppets and shit. And, you, and you're <laughs> like, you why don't we stop talking? Why yeah. don't we just, I don't want to know anymore. Try yeah. to pivot, but there's nothing to pivot to. Yeah. Well, furthermore, General Leslie Groves became even more aware of the consequences of acute radiation poisoning after an incident that occurred on American soil with a little something called the Demon Corps. And there was nothing oh. cute about it. No. Uh, but the well, it's called the Demon Corps. I don't think it sounds very cute. I see, I like the Demon mm-hmm. Corps because I think the Demon Corps... They would hang you upside down and just play your butthole like it was a goddamn cornhole. Dude, mm-hmm. no, the Demon Corps is misunderstood. I don't know if they... <laughs> demon Corps. I've been playing Diablo 4, dude. I know what these fucking demons can do. No, man. And if demon- you don't upgrade... They will kill you. The demon core was just honestly being blamed for being itself. Mm-hmm. Mm. Now, if you'll remember from episode five, Little Boy and Fat Man were the only two atomic bombs in existence when they dropped. So Los Alamos was hard at work on a third just in case America wanted to drop another on Japan. And that's a hard want. That's not a need. Oh, yeah, because right. they just said uh, the one is I forget what the, the bill was. The Truman said were basically they right after they bombed, they were trying to figure out, well, how do we stop this? Blah, blah, blah. And Truman's like, no, Manhattan Project continues as it was before. Mm-hmm. So we're just keeping bumping shit out. The plutonium core for bomb number three, however, soon developed a reputation for injuring or killing the people who worked on it. You see, it was supposed to be a bomb and it was supposed (laughs) to do, it was supposed to live this life and have this fun thing and it never got to. It's really sad. The the story of the bomb that never was. It's Rudy (laughs) of the atomic bombs. It's just him being like, and this is his one shot. He finally got in the game a little bit, but just kill Yeah, he killed two scientists, but that was him. That's his version of playing the one play Uh for the Notre Dame. Well, in the first of two serious accidents, a scientist was performing experiments on the core when he mishandled a component. Man, it sounds so fucking frightening. Because again, it's also real loose, too. Yeah. Because the core, like, that's one of those things I had to, like, figure out how to wrap my brain around because I couldn't really understand when they talk about piles and cores and, like, what does this even mean? Bricks. And bricks. Because he dropped a brick. Yeah, and Mm. then I realized, oh, it's just that. It's just a pile like it's they put it like in a metal circle, like the plutonium in a metal circle. Mm -hmm. And then they build these bricks of stuff around it that are supposed to make all the neutrons within it bounce around. Right? you basically make it like an oven with the plutonium in the center of it. But I just didn't understand. I thought it would be way more technical than that. But it's literally just like it's a brick made out of extremely technical metals that he put together. But all you have to do is fucking whoopsie. And things go fucking critical. You don't want your last words to be going. Oh. That is going to be my last word. Oh, yeah. Isn't that something? No, It'll be coming my pants. I think my last words are going to be. Whoop. That's not a word. Kissel, no. <laughs> no, he'll be begging me. Kill me, please, kill me now. <laughs> like I can't, man. I'll, I'll go to jail, dude. Well, the component <laughs> fell into the core, caused a chain reaction, and bathed the scientist in radiation. Oh, good. The scientist lived in the immediate, but died decades later of leukemia. Now that's not too bad. But a second scientist exposed a year later, 
he would not be so lucky. Oh yeah, they got to they got to tighten up the strings here. You got you got to you got to make sure that this stop dropping all this. His stuff. name, but then his, his nickname was like Flathead. Oh, <laughs> you'll name, do it. His nickname was Flathead, and that was deserved. He had that nickname for a reason. Now, oh. presumably, since a third nuclear bomb hadn't been necessary, this plutonium core remained an experimental object because there were bigger and better bombs on the horizon. Oh. So the Demon Corps kept changing hands as the experiments continued. And almost a year after Hiroshima, a scientist named Louis Slotten, who'd been working on the Corps, was in the process of handing over responsibility to another scientist. Demons can do a lot. But you know what? When I think of catching a football or holding on to atomic energy or uh, materials, they drop stuff. Yeah. Well, good, the hands are actually not good for grip. I mean, they're good for gripping. But you know what? I, I think demons also get distracted very easily. Yeah, again, I, you're, stung, you're hung up on the demons. I think of the demon Etrigan, and he wielded a sword many a time to grip. Effect. Yeah, Although I was a demon. But what if you? I literally up, played yeah, what, a demon for yeah. fucking well, years then I know on that a television show. Well, then I, know I had hands. Then I know that. Yeah, but didn't you? That. But didn't you, you drop be, stuff all the time? You yeah, because I was all a the goofy character. It was like a, it's like a funny character, but like what a I'm Homer Simpson like idiot. You were also distracted by a big pair of tits. Oh, if you're on the brick of atomic materials. Mm -hmm. And then, very good. <laughs> but then you'd be like, well, I'm supposed to be doing this. And then you see tits. You're going to drop it because you're a demon. Yeah, mm -hmm. but there's no tits here. It's scientists at this time. There were not a lot of tits in science. We don't know that. And if I remember from Pretty Face, most of the demons were not too bright. No, and, and all of them were just ugly men. <laughs> so, point proven, actually. Now, for the whole time Slotten had been performing experiments on the demon core, he'd arrogantly used a flathead screwdriver during a step that required absolute precision. This guy's a fucking asshole. Yeah, in his he's way, an asshole. Because what he did was, you remember in Tommy Boy, when he gets mad at the woman, because, you know, they, they, you find out about the end of the movie where he... Don't spoil it. Well, she says mm -hmm. that she doesn't keep a filing cabinet and mm -hmm. she just does her own specific way. That's this guy uh, in hell. <laughs> where he just was like, no, I do it this way, where it was two halves of non-critical material or pre-critical material pre -critical, yeah. that yeah. he would layer between each other. And before they could completely seal, right, because they'd have to be together and the two halves would have to seal to create a critical reaction. He just stuck a fucking screwdriver in between. Right. To yeah. just, and then that's what he'd use. And they'll all well, be like, hey, Louie, you know, you have this nickname for some fucking reason, but please don't do this anymore. And he's like, I know what I'm doing. Yeah. Well, well and, and to be fair to her, uh, she was sabotaged by that man I having know. sex with his mother. I know. <laughs> um, so. Well, Slotten, he wore cowboy boots and blue jeans in the laboratory. Yeah, he, was a, he did things a little different around here. <laughs> he, was a, he saw himself as a bit of a maverick. And okay. I think he used the screwdriver as some sort of affectation to separate himself from all these fucking nerds. Yeah. Oh, good, yeah. But as it went, nerds like Enrico Fermi were warning him that if he continued using a flathead screwdriver during a complicated nuclear experiment, he'd be dead within a year. Also, or you're going to blow up whatever fucking city this thing's in the center of. Mm -hmm. That wouldn't be good. This is where you need to respect the nerd. You are in the nerd land. Yes. yes. You're not on the ranch where yes. you think you might have an uh, upper hand. Yeah, I'm not looking for the best chicken wing. No, I'm no. asking for nuclear experiment advice. This is where the nerd shines. Yeah, Richard Feynman said the technique was, quote, tickling the dragon's tail. Because one slip <laughs> off, <laughs> one slip off, one slip up could set off a nuclear chain reaction that would literally blow up in Slotten's face. Yeah, it would ruin a chunk of America. Yeah. You know the, the dragons breathe fire. Do they fart fire? 
I don't think so. I don't think so. No. I think there's some sort of gland in their throat. Is it that, that it's creates... a gland. According to the Dungeons and Dragons, it's a gland. It's a it gland. is a gland. Okay, yeah. great. Good to know. But predictably, that's exactly what happened. Uh, right at the end of Slotin's time with the Demon Corps. As he was showing his replacement how the experiment was done, Slotin's screwdriver slipped a fraction of an inch, which set off the nuclear chain reaction that he'd been warned against for ever so long. Can you imagine that you do that? Because in the halves slap, it just starts glowing. Oh, <laughs> like this man. thing just starts blowing up with blue light. Oh, lunchtime, it turns out, you gotta go. Well, it wasn't a slow, it was a like it was a big flash. Right, but then he had Shit. to like knock it off the top. He literally had to use his bare hand to like flip the fucking thing off the huh. top of it. Yeah. It's kind of what they were creating in Happy Death Day too. A little bit. A little bit. Yes. Which I yeah. love that movie. Yeah. I love it, both of those. It bathes Slotin with a lethal dose of a thousand rads wow. of gamma radiation. Far out. Wow. And that was the invention <laughs> of hypercolor. Fantastic <laughs> shirts from the 90s. If yeah. you had tits and you were a man, Ooh, I let you know. Wow. The sad, literally, number upside down number three I created with one of those thermal color shirts yeah. with my little boy yeah, tits, yeah, yeah, yeah. like ruined that shirt for me. I knew it. Yeah. I that was the, that yeah. was the, one of the flaws in the plan. Oh, it yeah. was. Yeah. It was for d delicious woman's breasts. Yes. I guess. Not for a little fat It was marketed breasts. to boys, though. Yeah, it was. And the shitty thing was is that the replacement also got just a little bit of the radiation. Oh, not, yeah. Not a whole lot, but he got a little bit. But Slotin died nine days later with his guts turned into a slurry of blood and decayed tissue Ooh. like so many in Hiroshima and Nagasaki. Well, they don't know. They... they they said that at this time, yeah. this was the only real evidence they had of acute radiation poisoning. Yeah. So they didn't, it wasn't until after the bombs had already been dropped when we were due, and then they're like, oh, wow. Oh, we didn't know it does this fucking shit. I mean, shit. technically, he kind of donated his life to science. He did. Yeah. Well, that's what he said. The comment, his last word, well, did the words in the laboratories, he did it. He's like, well, that's done. That's literally like what he said at the end of it. Those are actually good last words. It was also yeah. scary too, right? Because you don't feel anything at first. You know now you're dead. Oh, like yeah. You're dead, dead, yeah. dead. But you can't, you don't know until days later and it ain't pretty. I would Look try to the... jump on walls to see if I could stick. Uh, you do. Happen. It's because of the sloughing. Oh, that's <laughs> not a good reason to stick. Well, Leslie Groves, he knew the details of the Demon Corps incident because he was still in charge of the Manhattan Project. We still haven't said on the Demon Corps that even though it was told it couldn't be a bomb, it could still kill people. Yeah. Oh. And Leslie Groves was maintaining a year after the bombings that from what doctors told him, radiation sickness was a, quote, pleasant way to die. No. Well, compared to what getting, uh, being, being right, Gaddafi, right. Here's having a gun shoved up your ass, so yeah, I guess sure. it's nicer than that. Or the the nice only thing I will say, it's like mostly more pleasant than is like, you ever been in a scenario when your head has been kind of like lodged in a yeah. sort of like a desert scenario, like kind of crevasse, like between two rocks and then your butthole, because maybe you have been gaped or you're on vacation. Sure. Your wife says, we're here at our favorite river spot. I peg you here. Yes. Right. And we all know this is what happens. And then let's just say you, she left a bunch of honey in there and, yeah. the whole thing, and a bunch of ants <laughs> right. all crawled up inside you. And then yeah. and they were living inside you and then they were slowly but surely eating their way out from your esophagus, like out through your mouth, stuff right. like it's definitely more pleasant than that. 
Now, naturally, the horrific deaths in Hiroshima and Nagasaki weren't something that the United States government wanted to be public knowledge because it destroyed the moral high ground that we've been flaunting since the end of the war and especially since the end of the European theater. But we understood at the time, too, is that I guess we're abandoning the moral high ground and we are just showing the world that we can blow you the fuck up. Mm -hmm. Well, I mean, this is a different time for America. I think they were teaching newborns how to smoke because they thought it was going to be really good for lung growth. No, it was. So, you know, we didn't know a lot of stuff back then. Well, at this time, like we had respect and we wanted, but eventually we wanted respect and fear. And we knew that, and that's the thing is that once Hiroshima came out, once all this came out, respect went away and all we were left with was fear. Yep. And isn't that what Jason Voorhees has been looking for this entire this whole time? <laughs> See, it was one thing to have a weapon that made a big boom to scare the Soviets. The international community, they could wrap their heads around that. But it was something else altogether to create a full-blown hell on earth in two highly populated cities. Mm. Enemies or not. So Leslie Groves deflected any conversation about the after effects of the bombings by emphasizing the bad shit Japan had done during the war. Which is real and totally viable. Like, Absolutely real. Like, yes. yeah, Unit 731, mm. the rape of Nanking, the Jap- Pearl Harbor, everything. Yeah. They did a lot of fucked up shit. Yeah, and that's the thing. Leslie Groves, for America, focused on Pearl Harbor. He focused on the innocent civilians that had been killed in the process. Speaking to the New York Times, Groves said that if Japan didn't like the way we ended the war... They should remember who started. You know, okay, there, there is that little bit. There's a tiny bit. But again, if it had just stopped in Hiroshima, if it had been, no, they never would have dropped it at all. I'm just I saying. I would go with yeah. no droppy. At the but very then li- someone's going to drop it. I'm not saying that it, it was good or I'm just saying that I said last episode, I can wrap my head around the one. It's the follow-up that made it changed really the entire vibe of well, the I room. think that's just because they named it Fat Man and you're offended. No, because I'm both. I'm Fat Man and Little Boy. Oh. Well, but that's the thing is that I can't wrap my head around Hiroshima because they knew for a fact that they didn't need to drop it and they knew that they were killing tens of thousands, if not hundreds of thousands to, of civilians. No, they wanted to. Well, <laughs> crazy. let's just say they should have done some things different. <laughs> wow, Kissel. Yes, wow. very wow. brave stand. Yeah. Very good. Yeah. Brave. Do things different. Complicated. Yeah. Rise from your grave. This podcast is brought to you by Squarespace. Finding work-life balance can be tough, but Squarespace gives you the tools to reach your goals and have time to celebrate. Squarespace is the all-in-one website platform for entrepreneurs to stand out and succeed online. With the new guided design system, Squarespace Blueprint, You can select from curated layout and styling options to create a personalized website optimized for every device. Get your website discovered fast with integrated, optimized SEO tools. Plus, make checkout easy for customers with easy-to-use payment tools. And with Squarespace AI, you can explain what your site is about, choose your tone, enter what you need, and get auto-generated text. And that helps you save time. I know I'm sitting on about two literal wheelbarrows filled with Horse picks. Now, part of the issue has been is a lot of these pictures are getting stopped at customs because some of them do depict various world leaders in horse-like circumstances that seems to be pinging a lot of these custom agents' accounts. Now, so what I've done to do is like, so while I'm trying to work on hand smuggling these horse picks over various country borders... I then also have time because Squarespace is doing all the other ad work for me to go and work on my killdozer at home. So thank you, Squarespace, for allowing me to diversify in the best way possible for this country. 
Head to squarespace.com for a free trial when you're ready to launch. Go to squarespace.com slash left to save 10% off your first purchase of a website or domain. Every day, I fight to set my child up for success, which is why, as I sit and read Carmi and Wendy Dune, trying to explain to them the concepts of the savior complex not working, doubling back on itself, the concept of what does it mean to be a living God? What are those limitations? What are those expectations? And honestly, I know they just want chicken. But there are kids out there that need this type of direct help. And IXL Learning is an online learning program for kids covering math, language, arts, science, and social studies. IXL is designed to help them understand and master topics in a fun way, not unlike me. Reading children, Dune Messiah, getting to about 365, seeing where they're at, see if they understand anything. There's no more grading these worksheets. IXL grades everything itself. One in four students in the U.S. are learning with IXL. IXL is used in 95 of the top 100 school districts in the U.S. You can't even believe it. You don't want to make an impact on your child's learning. Get IXL now. And last podcast in the left listeners could get an exclusive 20% off IXL membership when they sign up today at IXL.com slash left. Visit IXL.com slash left to get the most effective learning program out there at the best price. Now, the American government had put General Douglas MacArthur in charge of overseeing the American occupation of Japan. And MacArthur was given the directive that he could exercise his authority as he deemed proper to carry out his mission. That's good. You want to give generals just un- unbelievable amounts of power for them to do anything they want. Ah, uh, uh, uh. Thankfully, MacArthur mostly ruled fairly and without cruelty. He actually oh, instituted a lot of good things. He gave women the right to vote. He changed up their whole government. He kind of tried to make Japan like a mini America. But I mean, the ultimate motive was to turn Japan into an American ally against the Soviets in the upcoming Cold War. And it worked. And it worked. It definitely worked. There were some solid consequences. But no matter the motivation, MacArthur's men, for the most part, treated the Japanese with respect. They briefed them on Japanese courtesy. They briefed them on language, geography, culture. This became an actually successful hearts and minds mission to the point where Japanese children became enamored by American troops who gave them candy. They taught them simple English words like hello and thank you and all that type shit. Yeah, it's like, you know, when you get kidnapped and sometimes they're nice to you. (laughs) Yeah, that's the idea. It's like, wow, today I'm not getting... Completely destroyed. So mm. thanks for thanks for the Soulsburg stick. That's called marriage. <laughs> yeah, that is. But even though many of these interactions with American troops were pleasant, the speed at which America was rebuilding Japan resulted in serious infractions that any culture would find distasteful. Oh yeah, because now you're getting a taste of American of our true American ingenuity. Mm-hmm. Well, ingenuity, our stick to our our stick to it. Not even stick to it. I guess a little bit of our gumption. Yeah, we're good. Oh, yeah. gumption. Yeah. Needing to build an airfield in Nagasaki in an area nicknamed Atomic Field, soldiers used bulldozers to clear the ruins. Those ruins, however, were still filled with thousands of dead bodies and skeletons. In their rush to build the field, the bulldozer operators treated the bones of the dead the same as the sand, soil, and rubble. That mixture was used in broken roads in Nagasaki which are presumably still in use today. Wow. And I think that's a good mm. metaphor for marriage. 
It really is. Yeah. Why? Yeah. yeah. Why? Because you got to, in order to build something new, you got to just bulldoze through all the bad shit of the past and just build something on top. Turn of it. it into a wow. slurry yeah. you can build wow. on top of. Yeah. But then you also just see what seems to be seashells in the walls. That is the memories of the fights from the past. Yeah. Much as you see in Edinburgh, because half of their walls are just fucking human bones. It's uh, very interesting. Uh, but that's the thing is that that's only if you obsess on things. That's what it is, that you don't want to obsess on the small things mm-hmm. in the past. You just want to look at the good things that you built. That's a nice wall. Wow. That's what you say instead of, oh, that wall <laughs> is littered good. with the wow. broken bones of my ancestors yeah. and all these other things. I could say, oh, nice wall. I built that's something great. I built something good from all the bad. Yes, oh, I think that's, that's really fan. smart. That's yeah. cool. And I we can built, see and we people built... getting married as we speak. Yeah, and we built it together. So all you out there, be a bulldozer of love. Be it. Yeah, but if you build it together, then no, neither, should, whatever. Then no one gets any credit. Single. <laughs> well, Hiroshima and Nagasaki, they had far larger problems than what they were going to do with the dead. See, since so many kids have been taken out of the cities to avoid the fire bombings, mercifully missing the atomic bomb, thousands returned to the cities as so-called atomic bomb orphans, or Gimbaku Koji. These children, or Gimbaku Koji, I have no idea. I don't know. These children were left to fend for themselves, and many became desperate. In one case, a boy drank water from flower vases in cemeteries in order to survive. He would go on to form the Japanese version of The Cure. Oh, well, isn't that... <laughs> That's the most goth thing you can do. Yeah. Isn't that nice? Others had to leave their pitiful shelters and cross former playgrounds that had since been used as mass cremation sites just to retrieve clean drinking water. Mm. And as a result, they walked on the ashes of human remains and bone fragments day after day in the playgrounds that they used to play in. It sounds wow. symbolic, but it's not. No. It's sad. <laughs> it's very sad. <laughs> But as it almost always goes in times of chaos and desperation, some took great advantage of these orphan children, and none were more cruel with their exploitation than the Japanese mafia, a.k.a. the Yakuza. Ooh, oh, yeah. I've played them in video games before. Yeah. There's also a new sort of GTA-style game where you get to play the Yakuza. So I wonder if they'll have this in there. <laughs> I don't know if they will, them yeah. using them, taking advantage of the orphans of atomic power. What a weird power. side quest. Yeah. What a strange side mission. I don't like it. Yeah, the pedophilic sex slavery side quest? Yeah, it's far, far too realistic. Yeah, I don't like this. <laughs> no, I'm good. I'm this good. is too easy. Yeah. <laughs> Now, the Yakuza had been largely inactive during the war because so many of them had been conscripted into the Imperial Army. But once the war was over, the Yakuza quickly reformed and created a thriving black market. In addition, members of the Yakuza also found themselves in positions of power. See, in rebuilding the Japanese government following the war, General MacArthur attempted to weed out most of the ultra-nationalist Japanese citizens from civil service. This was the same thing that we did in Germany with a policy called denazification. But we did it on our side vaguely, but we also had the other side in Russia that were using active Nazis to f- prop up the governments in all of these places. And we, we did it too. We did do it. We brought in Nazis. We let them run the show half the time uh- because... Well, with denazification, we tried to take all the Nazis out. We did try it at first, but then we found like, oh shit, everyone's a Nazi and nobody is here to run the government. No one knows how anything works. So they mm-hmm. had no choice but to put the Nazis back in power if they wanted G- Germany to survive in any way whatsoever. See, that's the type of shit I actually find more reprehensible than a lot of uh, some other shit where it's mm-hmm. like, that's one of those things where we did just kind of let them operate 
fucking for a while. There's only so many Germans there. No, yeah. I know. Yeah, I know. there's only so many Germans. You can take the Nazi. Wait, you can take the German. Wait, you can take the German. Let out me of, see him. Let me see no, how he works it out. Take the Nazi out of a German, but you can't take the German out of a Nazi. No, you can. Wow, you I can, just uh, again, you're just damning yourself. You're damning no, your yeah. entire family because a lot of Germans left. A lot of Nazis left Germany and oh, went to all did. sorts of places and were still Nazis. They did. Yeah, you could go anywhere and be a Nazi. Even <laughs> just now, an idea. even just modern just America. Oh, yeah. I know. Please. Yeah. But you can't have like a ten-year-old boy running the police department in Dusseldorf. Oh, that's cool though. <laughs> I mean, that's Come kind on. of adorable. Kid yeah. captain. Yeah. Kid captain. All the guns uh, are nothing but snickerdoodle bars. Candy's free and homework's illegal. Oh, I love this new kid captain. <laughs> but just as it was in Germany, MacArthur soon found that after he removed these ultranationalists, there was nobody left to keep the peace because a lot of these ultranationalists had been, unsurprisingly, cops. Mm. As a consequence, yeah. there was little to... Yeah, look at the ultra-nationalists we have in America. Yeah. A lot of cops. Yeah, there are some cops in there, aren't there? I've seen, I've seen some guys at the grocery store. <laughs> yeah, yeah. As a consequence, there was little to no police presence in all of Japan. So the Yakuza filled the gap. Because mm. really, this is a case of damned if you do, damned yeah. if you do. Yes. In one case in the city of Kobe... The Yakuza put down an uprising of formerly enslaved Koreans at the request of the mayor. This, of course, put the mayor in debt to the Yakuza. Oh. But nobody in the occupational government had any real interest in getting mixed up with Japan's increasingly powerful criminal underbelly. Seems like the mayor got into some political issues there. I think he got in a little over his head. I think so, too. I think that a lot of times yeah. I feel like a mayor in, in post-atomic Japan was like pretty overwhelmed. Well, a lot of Japan, it's kind of like Escape from New York. You yeah. know, like there's just fucking, there, it's all chaos and then, you know, MacArthur comes in, it's just like yep, anyone who's like super into Japan as, you know, a, a superior nation. We don't want you anymore. We don't want you, you can't be in there. And now we have the Yakuza who's jumping in and they are just straight up saying like, oh, this is our yeah. time to make some money. Yeah, and the Yakuza also, are straight up evil. Yeah. Like, the, And we're about to get into just how evil the Yakuza could be. It's an impossible request yes. to be like, you're a Japanese citizen, hate your country. Not, yeah. No, 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 no. Not hate your country. Just don't treat your country as if it is a god. Yeah, like, I need don't... you to just be an American, but look like a Japanese person. Yeah, <laughs> but it's like the person that did that just dropped two huge bombs on you and is requesting no, that you no longer... Uh... It seems to be complex. It's I think complex. it might be complex. It's far complex. You know it's I very complex. complex. Yeah. yeah, it's complex because Japan did, yeah. after all, start the war. Well, on the negative side of the occupation, there was collaboration in both the sale of black market goods and heavy participation by the Americans in a massive sex slave trade that was created in the chaos of a ruined country that was still starving. By October of 1945, just a month after Japan's surrender, a group called the Recreation and Amusement Association oh. had opened one of the largest brothels in the world using trafficked women posing as quasi-geishas, and American troops were regular customers. But when it came to exploitation, the Yakuza were most cruel with the children of Hiroshima and Nagasaki, That's who could bit. disappear without anyone noticing or caring. Now, the orphan boys had relatively innocuous jobs. They would use shoe polish stalls as fronts to sell bootleg alcohol and heroin. Yeah, and if that was just the only thing that was happening, there would be part of me that would be like, that's fun as hell. That like, you know what I mean? Well, that's Orphans just... selling alcohol and heroin, hanging yeah. out, flipping coins, being like, so... we're looking for hooch, mister. Like, that's fun. <laughs> just legalize. Just legalize it at that point. I think booze was probably... 
a good thing. Well, it's not really needed. It, it's not that booze was illegal. It it's wasn't. that booze wasn't really being manufactured in Got any you. specific way because all the factories were destroyed. There's probably like not the first thing they wanted to do with the factories. No, yeah. no, no. Yeah, they had yeah. to get everything else back online. Right. Yeah. The girls, however, most between eight and 11 years old, they were sold into sex slavery, either privately or in red light districts all over Japan. More often than not, after the girls were used up, to put it crudely, they would disappear, either mm. killed or turned back out to the streets to starve. Man, this is just fucking, this is a very scary time period. Yeah. Those orphans who weren't picked up by the Yakuza, however, starved to death by the thousands once winter came. Mm. Many died with stones in their mouths because presumably having something to suck upon was somewhat soothing. And the Yakuza had total control over the food deliveries and they would decide who got what. And then they would like basically take all the rations and then they would sequester them and they would make people line up. And then you have to buy them from them, like, yeah. you know, at, an, at a highly increased price. Sure. Yeah. Now, the United States certainly had a vested interest in rebuilding Japan's economy and infrastructure because they desperately needed as many allies in Asia as they could get, especially since China was obviously on its way to full-blown communism by this point. But when it came to treating the radiation-related illnesses caused by the bomb dropped by the occupying forces, they opted instead for scientific research. Well, this is why mm. people get upset. With scientists and doctors, because yes, this is one nasty. of those things, because they arrived here to try to, at first they thought that they were coming to help, but then it turns out they were just trying to watch them melt in a yeah, controlled dude. situation. I mean, it's disgusting. We've been doing all those experiments on special needs people for a long time and on, on the own orphans of an American streets. Honestly, and I'm experimentation I mean, being done on human beings. And I know I was made in a lab. I, know. I didn't, <laughs> ask, in the lab. I didn't oh. ask to be this Perfect. Yeah. No, I know. And that's actually, it's kind of been a burden Bit for me. And then yeah. I didn't yeah. ask to be geoengineered. You were kind of experimented on when it comes to heaps of pasta and how much can one, how much can one family yeah. consume. Yeah. And guess what? It's a nice. It's, it's a nice. nice. How much pasta does it take to replace love and affection? Uh, you know what? Uh, up to a pound. Yeah, I think a pound. <laughs> for me, one pound. Yeah. yeah, I agree with that. With a lot of parm. With a lot of parm. Yeah. Well, these scientists, they weren't experimenting. They were just studying. They wanted to know the long-term effects of radiation on a large population. And in order to get clean data, they refrained from treating any and all illnesses suffered by the populations of Hiroshima and Nagasaki as a result of radiation. So in order to study these effects, an organization called the Atomic Bomb Casualty Commission was founded in 1946 to study the effects of the atomic bomb in the long term, meaning their original test subjects were mostly children and young adults. It is so we're talking about the bomb as a job creator now. Oh, very much <laughs> so. So there you go. Look at that. But very right before this, they had released a report that was actually fairly thorough explaining the Manhattan Project to the United States of America. And they sent out this like long thing kind of explaining what atomic power was and what it what it does and what it's going to do and it's a, it is interesting on what it left out because it talks about basically it ends at trinity mm -hmm. like you see this mm -hmm. big report come out and you're like and then we did it and yeah. it does not mention the bombings of hiroshima and nagasaki afterwards because mm -hmm. this is up until then when then because now they're trying to figure out like okay what the fuck did we just do i mean there's yeah. so many again complicated but from a science perspective 
I mean, it is, it's a huge achievement. It is. Yeah. Right? Well, now it's because then they'll say, we're using the research to figure out how to build a more humane of bomb. Yeah. Of course they yeah. are. That's what a tactical nuke is. A tactical nuke is the idea is like humane. spreads just small. It's a small spread. Mm -hmm. That's why when they were, t when we were in Europe and they were all just all like, really being like, and this is why I remember seeing a headline that was like, why tactical nukes are actually okay for you. And you're like, <laughs> just, I can't right now. Well, at least once a year for the rest of their lives, these subjects participated in examinations that usually occurred under harsh fluorescent lights, and they were always forced to strip down naked so the scientists could study every aspect of possible ill effects. Mm. In the most humiliating of exams, some were forced to stand on stage in auditoriums full of doctors and scientists. In the case of the daughter of Reverend Tanamoto, the man we mentioned last episode who was forced to meet the co-pilot of the Enola Gay on live oh, television, God. she went through this mortifying indignation at the age of 13. I actually oh. got a really interesting email about Reverend Tanamoto and the, after the fact and that it actually helped him. He said apparently this was actually really good for him, uh, meeting the pilot from the Enola Gay, helped him put a human face on it. And there was like a whole story where they kind of like came together and figured it actually was you know like a healing moment yeah. in his life. When Leif Garrett met the person that he hit when he was driving drunk and then the guy was in a wheelchair forever, but they met on VH1 and the Leif yes. got to apologize finally. Yes. God, what was the line me and Carolina used to say to each other all the time? Because like, it's something about like, fucked up, bro. Or I can't, oh, I'm yeah. Sorry, oh, bro. Fucked up, bro. <laughs> yeah, I remember that. Yeah. Something like that. Oh, man. Leif coming clean. <laughs> I forgive you. I yeah. forgive you. I, I mean, I would you. be like, lift up my leg so I can kick you in the butt once. <laughs> <laughs> Drinks on you. <laughs> well, this <laughs> frozen. You both frozen in a smile, like at the end of a sitcom. Well, after being shoved on stage in an auditorium full of doctors, and I know indignation isn't the right word there. It's bothering me. Mortifying indignation. It's not indignation. Um, it's, uh, I would say it's mortifying. Uh, technically, it's, I know what you're saying. Humiliation. Desecration. Humiliation. Degradation. Yeah. Yeah. Degradation. Degradation. That's the word I was Whoa. looking for. Thank you so very I much. I do know words. Mr. <laughs> ACT. Wow. Yeah, I got a 19, baby. 19. 26 in writing, 26 in in reading, 13 in math, and I believe a 12 in science. Very good. Mm, wow, very nice. I got a 27. But that was... Wow, it's still Kirk low. Cobain committed I mean, suicide still, at 27. No, 27 out of 32 is pretty good. I didn't take the ACTs. I believe I didn't it was have 36. To. I was yeah. in the IB program, so I didn't have to. No, it was 32 yeah. because was 32? I... Yeah, because I got one question away from perfect on reading comprehension. Yeah, see, that's where I did well as well. Yeah. And just another completely valid bragging point. <laughs> yes, indeed. Especially once you're over 40. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And the kids same. don't have to take them anymore. Really? No. No, no. Now they just got to be able to pay. They just, just gonna, like, they wow, have to go in. Pay. They have to say like vibes. Mm, you know what I mean? Yeah. They have to pass a vibe check and then they have to go like, then, then they go to Zoom University and then yeah. mostly they just go and they create destabilizing videos on the internet. Yeah, yeah. that's right. Do with a lot of debt as well, unfortunately. Well, the ABCC still exists to this day as the Radiation Effects Research Foundation, although such cruel examinations as those suffered in the 50s are long in the past. I would hope so. These days, they mostly study the children of Hiroshima and Nagasaki survivors in order to see the hereditary effects of radiation poisoning. Come and here. it's now voluntary. Come here, John. I just want to say, I just want to make sure how many eyes you have. Good. You still have two? Or two no? eyes. Flippers? Good. Looking for flippers? No. Uh, no flippers, huh? Throw them away. I yeah. want a flipper one. <laughs> I would assume it does go through through the generations if it you does. take into account lead poisoning oh no it mutates, it mutates and... all of your shit inside of you it, it involves your entire body mm -hmm. yeah 
Now, as far as the press went concerning Hiroshima and Nagasaki, General MacArthur was able to keep a lid on the worst effects for a fair amount of time, longer than you'd think. Mm. See, while the Japanese press were freer than they'd been under the imperial government when it came to censorship, they still weren't allowed to report any details about the after effects of the bombings. Likewise, foreign reporters had to submit all reports to occupation censors for approval. But with such a massive story involving so many people, the truth was bound to get out eventually. Mm -hmm. In the year after the bombing, two journalists almost got the stories of Hiroshima and Nagasaki out to the rest of the world, but both were stopped just short of publishing by the government. Wow. The man who finally got the word out, though, was a Pulitzer Prize winner in fiction named John Hersey, who not only brought the story of the bombings to the world, but revolutionized nonfiction writing with his report on Hiroshima. He was the man who was said to have created the new journalism. And the story he wrote on Hiroshima is considered by The New York Times in a list they did in 1999 as the best piece of journalism of the 20th century. Well, it's incredible wow. because it was an extremely closely held secret. It was one of our... How do we put this? Later on, we discover many layers of kind of shame that America would experience. But this is like a this is a big one. Obviously, it was a very, very big one. Now, in a poll conducted a week after the bombings, 85 percent of Americans approved of the use of the atomic bomb. Strangely enough, 5 percent didn't care. They had no opinion one way or another. What happened? All, there's always those people. Oh, yes. Five percent who literally was like, there know. was a world war. That's weird. There was. Two? Yeah, there were actually. This is the sequel? There were stories of like people who lived in the Ozarks sure, who like yeah. had no fucking clue. Wait, tell me what was going on. No, no, tell me what's going on. That's the dream. And he's still with the census, like, his voice still counts. <laughs> it does. Moonshine. That's America. Well, journalists thereafter repeated the government line that Hiroshima and Nagasaki were symbols for the birth of a new Japan, dedicated to peace, progress, and reconciliation with the rest of the world. It did end old Japan, so I suppose the only other step is a new one. Well, that perspective changed with John Hersey. Hersey had been a war correspondent embedded with Allied forces during the invasion of Sicily. In addition, he'd survived four plane crashes and had assisted in evacuating wounded soldiers in Guadalcanal. Well, yeah, you also tell me when he's embedded with the enemy, okay? <laughs> yeah. But the thing is, is that he did believe he saw that the World War II story that we were all getting was not quite as clean cut yeah. as what was really happening. Oh, is that he yeah. went there and he realized, which is we kind of part of what the this story I think is kind of symbolic of is that this war was fucked up too. Yeah. Like, and while this was supposedly the last, like quote unquote, like good one or whatever, like, but this 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 what? is the most fucked up war that ever existed. It was fucked up what everybody had to go through. And everybody every went through a lot of bullshit fighting this war. Yeah. And, and especially like our boy, like all of our, the American soldiers that, yeah, they had now have the veneer of being heroes at the time, but the shit they saw oh was my. wild. And then they yeah. weren't allowed to talk about it when they came back because then that would you throw shame upon this quote unquote great thing that you did. And the Americans didn't even see the worst shit. I no. mean, it, we got in late. The worst, uh, they say that the, the worst place to be in the entire war was Poland. Like, oh, so yeah yeah yeah, 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 yeah. Like Poland yeah. was absolutely like if you were in Poland during World War II, you were in one of the worst places in the entirety of human history and the entire the entire history yep. of the world. Yeah, I feel like, yeah. Just just Auschwitz being there. Like Auschwitz, a place you can take a voluntary train to. <laughs> it's like Poland. not a place I want to be. There's a lot of Polish people that love those Nazis. Yeah, they, they were. Did. It's true. It's kind yeah. of crazy. Yeah. Well, and that's part of what made it so much worse. Yeah. 
Well, having seen Fucking his Polish. Hey, <laughs> hey, we were we were so surprised. Yeah. But again, they walked in backwards and they told us they were leaving. <laughs> Auschwitz, Warsaw, so much horrible shit was happened Daka, in Poland. Dachau over there. Yeah, yeah no, was, Dachau no, was in a, that. Dachau was in Germany. Okay, that, was that was the, Germany, the first yeah. of them. There you go. Well, having seen his fair share of war. Hersey suspected that there was far more to the official story concerning what had actually happened after the bombs detonated at Hiroshima and Nagasaki. Hersey knew the human face of war, and his journalistic instincts twitched when he noticed that the only pictures coming out of either city were only of destroyed buildings and bare ruins. In other words, there were no pictures of people. Honestly, if I could teleport one journalist to this as well, Hunter S. Thompson, mm-hmm. peak Hunter S. Thompson. Well, this oh. is kind of where he came out of. of right. This, this is yeah. the generation he came out of. It's this is the time. Well, is it is it fair to say it's narrative journalism? Absolutely. Yeah. This is this is the beginning of narrative journalism. Right. Yeah, the, the new journalism, as they put it. And so in the summer of 1946, nearly a year after the bombings, Hersey was granted a two-week pass to visit Hiroshima so he could see and hear what had actually happened. He had a backstage pass. Did he get a lanyard? I Honestly, he better have. <laughs> he interviewed... He better have made out of fucking lead. <laughs> Seriously. <laughs> he interviewed 40 survivors as to what they'd experienced during and since the bombings. But eventually, inspired by a book called The Bridge of San Luis Rey that he'd read on the ship to Hiroshima, he focused on the stories of six people, mm. including that of Reverend Tanamoto. Okay. But after writing what amounted to a horror story, Hersey did not submit the finished article to the government for censorship clearance. Instead, he said, fuck them, and Good. gave the story directly to the New Yorker, who dedicated an entire issue to Hersey's unflinching portrait of Hiroshima. So he's a whistleblower. Yeah. He was. The article was soon published as a book, and it was so definitive, so harrowing, and so well-written that it's probably the reason why the focus is still mostly placed on Hiroshima to this day. Well, we got that incredible testimony. Yeah. But either way, Americans were, for the first time, exposed to the realities of atomic warfare. Human stories were finally attached to the bombings at Hiroshima and Nagasaki, which caused a reckoning across America over what their government had done. But if the average American felt guilt and shame over Hiroshima, it was nothing compared to what some of the scientists at the Manhattan Project, the ones who'd known exactly what they were building, they were feeling Quite a few feelings. I thought As you were they say, should. I thought you were going to say the Germans. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. As one scientist put it, he wept as he read the story, and he was filled with shame to, quote, recall the whoopee spirit that mm. the team had after the bombing had been successfully detonated over a highly populated city. Well, again, they sort of understood sort of. what the fuck yeah. they were making. They sort of understood it. I do think in that way, they knew that they needed to make it blow up. But they just thought again, it's blowing up. This yeah. blow that it's just gonna blow up. It's, it's a bomb. It, it's a bomb. We're just making. We're no different than hundreds of thousands of other people right. making bombs right now. Yeah, no different from the guys firebombing Tokyo or Dresden or whatever. Yes. Like yeah. they're just making a bomb. It's gonna blow up, and then that's it. But while Hersey brought the story of Hiroshima to the world, the effect it had on a lot of Americans was less sympathy than fear. In other words, a lot of Americans started worrying about what would happen to us. Me, 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 me. It does make sense for self-preservation reasons. It does seem like it's getting a little 
cold in here. Ooh. <laughs> yep, the wonders of the atomic age. Quick, <laughs> the wonders of the atomic age quickly turned into cold war paranoia and fear, and the justification of a nuclear arms race was shifted from beating the Germans to the bomb to having a larger nuclear arsenal than the Soviets. Yeah, why didn't the kids of Hiroshima and Nagasaki just get under their desk? I feel like <laughs> that's I was told you just get under oh, your desk. Oh, you get under your desk. You put your hands, your hands by yes. your head. Yeah, yeah. that's yeah. a particular song. Like that. It is interesting. In no way is that completely fucking useless. <laughs> it's also interesting because this is technically, in his way, Robert Oppenheimer in his way of kind of figuring out how to get himself out of his own moral quandary mm. after all of this was like, well, that's why everyone should have atomic bombs, because then we'll yeah. never have war ever again. Yeah. If everybody has an atomic bomb, then everybody knows that if I use my atomic bomb, they're going to use their atomic bomb. And you know and what you're going to be a crater. A couple of carve outs for Iran. And then, uh, <laughs> it's basically, yeah. I just feel that that wasn't the answer. Right? Iraq had yellow cake. <laughs> it did not. No, it didn't. Nope. It had uh. nothing. They were not. You know what's funny? They don't I, even eat cake over you, there. You know what I just? Oh, they do. You know mm. what I just learned? Remember when they supposedly found the uh, the mobile chemical weapons labs? Oh yeah. And they were like, "There's ammonia in here. They could have used it to clean <laughs> yeah. up." You know what the ammonia was? What's that? Someone had pissed in there. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm Hans Blix. Man, they call me Hans Piss. Someone found my piss bucket. Yeah. Wow. Someone had just emptied out the truck. To, someone just used it as a toilet, and that was used in Colin Powell's speech uh, to the UN. Thank you. To justify the Iraq war. Hey, our intelligence community is almost never correct. No. <laughs> also, uh, speaking of whistleblowers, a uh, 70% of meat in America used to not be allowed, but now they spray it with ammonia, so they allow it for human consumption. It used to only be allowed for dog food. So that's why we're dying as well. Huh. Actually, yeah, interesting. So be very careful. That is interesting. I am. Be very careful. I'm very careful. Yeah. Live from your grave. Oh, Texas Speed is a sauce that allows you to sauce like you mean it. It's what people gather around. It's generosity in its simplest form, and it's a swagger people have who know what's good. Each Texas Pete hot sauce is packed with bold, balanced flavor. This signature tanginess is what makes it a legendary hot sauce that can be used on just about anything. It's been at the center of dinner table since 1929 and is still heating things up today. You're definitely going to want to try Every flavor. The original hot sauce has a famous secret blend of fermented peppers. The hotter hot sauce is three times hotter than the original, and not for the faint of heart. Sabor by Texas Pete adds authentic Mexican flavor, and their dust-dry seasoning matches the flavor of the original hot sauce and a flavorful dry rub. Tell you what, the other day I was having myself a good old refried bean burrito, and I wanted a little bit of kick to my morning, so I got myself some chop. Texas Pete sriracha sauce, and I smothered those refried beans and that cheese and them eggs and a whole bunch of chop. And it started off my day correct. Texas Pete, sauce like you mean it. Visit TexasPete.com and use the store locator to find Texas Pete products as well as purchase sauces and get recipe inspiration. And use the promo code PODCAST24 for 20% off at TexasPete.com. Hey! 
Did you know Fast Growing Trees is the biggest online nursery in the U.S. with more than 10,000 different kinds of plants and over 2 million happy customers in the U.S.? They have everything you could possibly want, like fruit trees, palm trees, evergreens, houseplants, and so much more. Whatever you're interested in, they have it for you. Find the perfect fit for your climate and space. That's one of my favorite things about it. Fast Growing Trees makes it easy to order online and your plants are shipped directly to your door in one to two days. And along with their 30-day Alive and Thrive guarantee, they offer free plant consultation forever. Now, personally, I'm in the middle of re-landscaping my yard. I like to do it myself because I called up a landscaper to see how much it costs and it was absolutely insane. Plus, I love dirt. I love getting my hands in the dirt and I love planting things myself. And Fast Growing Trees has given me some wonderful plants that I can use. Like I got this uh, Texas sage, it's purple. I've dug up a whole bunch of horrible bushes and shrubs up in front of my window and in front of my house and put some purple Texas sage up there and it's going to thrive and it's going to look real good. And I didn't even have to go to a nursery to buy it. It came to my house. Now, this spring, they have the best deals online, up to half off on select plants and other deals. And listeners to our show get an additional 15% off their first purchase when using the code LEFT at checkout. That's an additional 15% off at FastGrowingTrees.com using the code LEFT at checkout. FastGrowingTrees.com, code LEFT. Offers valid for a limited time. Terms and conditions may apply. Well, between 1946 and 1958, the U.S. government detonated 23 nuclear devices in a series of tests that ranged from the Pacific Ocean to the deserts of Nevada and Utah. And all of these tests caused cancer rates to skyrocket in the surrounding areas. Yeah, also, guys, don't us, we know already? It definitely <laughs> brought us to the attention of the reticulants and the grace. How? <laughs> we'll get to it. Well, I mean, that's the thing is that they're... Are we going to get to that in this episode? Yes. Well, the thing is they're they're detonating these things in places where they don't care about the people. They're detonating this shit next to reservations. Yes. Oh. You know, they don't give a shit what happens if it, you know, if it fucking blows onto oh, a where, reservation. Quote, unquote, where people, quote unquote, are not supposed to be living. It's That's fucking, kind of what they do. It is horrible what we've done to the Native American. Yes. And we continue to do it. They just lost water rights uh, again because Kavanaugh said that it was in 1854. There was a treaty. Wow. It was like in 18, like 93. He's like, we better uphold that treaty. I feel like we like, should, oh, there should be a cutoff God. of what counts. I think 1990. I, I think that's the sure. cutoff. I think, I that's think the you cutoff. know what we could do with the Native American a redo. I yeah. Be like, let's, re, let's renegotiate. Redo it. Renegotiate. That's fucking insane. We're still using treaties yeah, to yeah, fuck yeah. over yes. the tribes. Yeah, for water. That's incredible. Yeah. Well, the fallout from these tests were so pervasive that a film crew working on the set of the John Wayne movie The Conqueror, in which John Wayne, <laughs> John Wayne. In, in which John Wayne laughably plays Genghis Khan. The name is Genghis Khan, <laughs> you governor. I don't. I, I feel like he sucks. I he he does. tried to watch John Wayne movies John Wayne, growing John up, Wayne and I don't sucks. like them. John Wayne's a fucking Nazi. That's, it's yeah. just like they said in the song. John Wayne is a Nazi. You know what it is like too? Him. It's he's passe in a world. World where we don't really care about like that form of like machismo actor anymore. No, I'm fine with him, like, like, The Rock. Wait, he's more <laughs> masculine than him. I don't feel he is as compelling in uh, future analysis than he was at the time. Because at the time, he was like a number one movie star. Yeah. They love the Western thing. They love this idea. But now you watch it and you're like, Actually, he doesn't do anything. He, do he anything. gets off a horse. He walks over there. He kind of squints. It's like, and honestly, Clint Eastwood for me does the same bit, but he does it better. And then he, he did a whole movie with an orangutan. <laughs> <laughs> he does do it better, and that's yeah. why my grandfather Herbert never liked John Wayne. 
Yep. But he just didn't like him because he was an actor. Yeah. yeah. He yeah. didn't like actors. Yeah. John That's Wayne. what I'm sure all of our grandparents were like. He's just a fucking actor. Yeah. Might, no, honestly, my uh, grandfather knew him very well. Did he really? Really? Yeah, they hung up. My mom met him like three or four times. Yeah. John Wayne? Yeah, John Wayne. John Wayne my, was an incredible racist, a fascist, and a coward. Yeah. Go on, Henry. How very does tall. your family know him? Extremely tall, big hands. <laughs> Six three. My grandfather used to work as a PR person for Pepsi. He was the head of the relations okay. for Pepsi. So he were he knew John Wayne. He knew Henry Kissinger. He knew fucking Ronald Reagan. Wow. He knew uh Joan Crawford, him and Joan Crawford. They have I a love whole Joan. bunch of pictures. There's pictures of my grandfather with Marilyn Monroe. He knew her. He knew a couple of the Kennedys. Apparently, he was strange. He was, apparently, Mama D is a lie. Yes. Mommy it is, yeah. it is Apparently it's more. a lie. It's yeah. framed more. Yeah. Well, a lot of the people who worked on The Conqueror, which is widely considered one of the worst movies ever made, yep. they developed cancer at a far younger age than was normal because they filmed in the Utah desert near a nuclear bomb testing site. Mm. Yeah. And, uh, and that's so like, for some reason, I don't know if movies should be filmed in deserts anymore. <laughs> It's cool. Well, I mean, well, they say that, um, you know, some people say that this is a myth because these fil the film crew died at the same rate as the general population of or cancer. Got, or got cancer they at got the same cancer rate. They got cancer at the same rate. 20, I think it's like 22%, but they died far younger uh, oh. than many people well, died yeah. of cancer. Yeah. That would change the, uh, change the math there a it little does, bit. It does, yeah. And it depends on what they're doing on set. Regardless, though, the first of these tests was Operation Crossroads, in which the government blew up a bunch of captured Japanese and German battleships just to see what the bomb could do to purely military targets I mean, and what it could of, do under underwater. Sort of a fun day. Yeah. That, and that and that's kind of a is fun, fun day. And yeah. it made SpongeBob. <laughs> this test, however, would be better known by its location, Bikini Atoll. Mm -hmm. And my papa was there. Oh, wow. Yeah. Wow. It did yeah. nothing to stop it. Absolutely. <laughs> what would you do if you yeah. could stop the atomic bomb testing? Yeah. Absolutely nothing, Mr. Perks. Yeah. He was present as a sailor in the Navy. Oh. And that's also where the name Bikini comes from, as the Bikini was released like a couple of weeks after Bikini Atoll. And the inventor was like, that's a great name. It's sweet. Absolutely. Yeah, when, gotta see them titties. When I think of the greatest generation, I always say I want to see them in bikinis. <laughs> mm, Eleanor Roosevelt. <laughs> yes, indeed. Roosevelt. What is it? You sitting on a skunk? Oh, Eleanor, you gotta maintain them damn lines. <laughs> However, it would be the second test held at Bikini Atoll in 1954 that would have a huge cultural impact the world over. Having moved on from the atomic bomb, the United States had started testing a far more powerful nuclear weapon called the hydrogen bomb, or oh. for short, the H-bomb. Yeah, because there was one dude within the Manhattan Project was like, I feel that my bomb is more superior in, in ideas. And they're like, listen, we're already working on a thing. And then this guy just went and built a bigger bomb than the atomic bomb. You know, it's funny, the guy who uh, actually started the earliest research on the H-bomb was Klaus Fuchs who was the man who was a spy for the Soviet Union. Ah, yes. Close. Mm -hmm. Well, during an underwater H-bomb test called Operation Castle, a Japanese fishing boat was destroyed, and the survivors were showered with radioactive fallout in a blast that was a thousand times more powerful than those above Hiroshima and Nagasaki. Mm. Of course, they died. This incident inspired a huge anti-nuclear testing movement in Japan, not least due to the fact that two years earlier, the censorship ban on the full scope of what happened at Hiroshima and Nagasaki had finally been lifted. The people of Japan finally knew what the fuck had happened there. Wow. And as a result, a movie director named Ishiro Honda <gasps> translated the power and ruination of the atomic bomb into an unstoppable creature named... 
Gojira. Yeah. 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 yeah, I love Godzilla. He's dude. cool. Yeah. yeah. That's oh. good noise. Ooh, yeah, that's good. That's what well, it sounds I like. I do it. Yeah, oh my I do God. it at home all the time. It's one of my favorite noises in the world. Yeah. Phone needed to be wow. a fly on the wall. <laughs> Indeed. That's your cum noise. That's. <laughs> I'm a Godzilla. I'm a Godzilla. Godzilla, perhaps from Center Earth, Middle Earth. We just simply don't no, know. No, they just retconned all that fucking shit. No, okay. Go- no, Godzilla is from deep in the Pacific Ocean, and he was down there for millions of years, two sure. million years, as they put it in the movie. And then when the Americans started testing the H bomb, that's when his habitat cracked open. Wow. They destroyed his habitat, and that's when he came up and started destroying Japan. Well, why would he destroy Japan? He because- technically to come to the U.S. He was grouchy. He was woken up from his nap. And, that is true. And Japan was the closest island available. I can't even imagine how grouchy I would be after a two million year nap. No, he, was, he wasn't napping. He was out there. He was fucking around. He was having a good time. He was propagating his species. He was being a Godzilla. Yeah, he was Godzilla. coming. That's what they said. There were a bunch of Godzillas down there. That's a great name. Yeah. Well, in creating Godzilla and setting him loose in Tokyo, Honda recreated the helplessness felt by the Japanese in the face of the unfathomable strength of a nuclear weapon. And he, in fact, used the real-life incident of the destroyed fishing boat as direct inspiration for the opening scene in the first Godzilla movie, which, if you haven't seen, is fucking incredible. Of all those old-school movies, the horror movies and sci-fi movies, Godzilla, the original, holds up like a motherfucker. God damn it it's does. got really great scenes. It's genuinely creepy and scary, but also like it's got great scale. That, yeah. That's like wow. back when movies were big. <laughs> yes, indeed. It, it holds up like Christian then, if it holds up like a motherfucker. Whoa. Oh, whoa. Yes. I will eventually do my deep dive in Christian. Uh, <laughs> and you'll do it alone. Disgusted. It's the only right way to do it. It is indeed. <laughs> I, can, I, I have to be alone. I agree. Well, as a side note, perhaps the most telling line in Godzilla came from a moment on a train between two commuters who were speculating on the destruction Godzilla might cause in Tokyo right before he unleashes his fiery atomic breath on the nation's capital. He has, oh, that's the cool thing about it. There's cool. all of these like atomic bomb yeah. like nods where he has this atomic breath that sets everything on fire. It destroys yeah. everything. But basically this woman on the train says, I barely escaped the atomic bomb at Nagasaki and now I gotta deal with this? Whoa. Was there anyone that said it's too soon? <laughs> no. No, absolutely no, no, not. cathartic. No, 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 it's, no they it's were extremely ex- ready. It's extraordinarily okay. cathartic. This happens again and again with people. I mean, yeah. think about how many, you know, fucking 9-11 movies there were, like two or three years after 9-11. I mean, I think Nicolas Cage had that one about a year after and then... Yeah. I mean, they were all awful. They and were. They were completely unnecessary. But yeah, they were. But this is also, this is just what happens to cultures. Like in the years after 9 yeah. 11, look at the, like, American cinema was nothing but disaster porn for two decades. Oh, it still is. Yeah, it still is. is. Like, all we see is just the destruction of cities, the destruction yeah. of the world over and over and over again. Isn't this it is kind of relaxing in culture. a way, though, in my way? I kind of like it. In a way, yeah, it's relaxing. It's the, the total destruction of everything, because then you just keep moving, because in the end, you know, you don't got to pay taxes anymore. It's just yeah. a movie. You know, you know. But in this line, I think that this woman gave voice to what a lot of people in Japan felt at the time. American testing of the H-bomb in the Pacific was directly affecting them. It was poisoning their food supply. The fish, they couldn't eat it out of the fucking ocean because it was radioactive. Well, now they just do that to Americans. Yeah. And, well, they also got quite a bit of it as well. Yeah, they we got, got the least up. of it. Yeah, yeah, yeah they got okay. fucked up. Yeah. And they were, the Americans were killing even more Japanese civilians. And this was all while the Japanese were still dealing with the long-term effects of the first two bombs the Americans had dropped. 
And while Japan was dealing with its own trauma, America was having somewhat of a reckoning concerning the men who'd actually built the bomb. Oh, yeah. They propped them up and they were happy to have them. And then they decided to destroy them from the inside out. Now, perhaps it was America's unconscious guilt over the horror their country had unleashed upon hundreds of thousands of people. But by the 50s, America had begun to turn on the man who'd been the most responsible for constructing the bomb. That man was J. Robert Oppenheimer, and his reckoning came in the form of the Red Scare. You see, J. Robert Oppenheimer at the time was extremely popular. And he was kind of like angling. They were talking about like, oh, Oppie could be president. Yeah, like, like Einstein popular. Yeah, they were ready because he wanted to get involved in all of these various. Uh, basically, he wanted to figure out how do I control how we legislate things around atomic power from here on out. He's like, I want people to hear my opinion sure. and move forward. But it is interesting because then he made a bunch of weird moves that kind of his communist group kind of kicked him out because a while for a while he was like, we need to do nuclear proliferation. We need to give out the secrets to everybody. But eventually he came around to this idea of like, all right, we'll keep it an American secret. But if I get in there, maybe if I get inside of the U S government, I can kind of direct policy from the inside out. And what is everybody who discovers what happens when you go on the inside is that you're irrevocably corrupted. By the machinations of the government. Yeah. So as soon as you get on the inside so trying to do. fix it all, eventually you're just playing the same games as fucking everybody else because them games are as old as time. Uh-huh. There's a big club and you're not in it. That's right. Well, I don't want to be in it. <laughs> <laughs> you ran for office. I don't want to be. Well, that was for Brooklyn Borough president and that was a fantastic experience and Eric Adams is a total failure. Yep. Yes, he is. So there you go, everybody. You too can get 1.4%. It's that easy. (laughs) Well, as we've established time and again, Robert Oppenheimer wasn't a communist, Mm. but he was friends with a lot of communists back in the 30s when being a communist wasn't dangerous or even all that strange. He was just open to communists. He liked the parties. He wanted to go bang a bunch of hot commie chicks. A lot of people back in the 30s, they were flirting with communist ideology because of the Great Depression. For example, when my family cleared out the house of some of my Oklahoma Dust Bowl ancestors back when I was a kid, we found multiple books on communism openly displayed on their bookshelves. Well, it probably made you look worldly, too. It made you look like, oh, look, we're interested in shit. I mean, no, we could, it's not we're that. We're interested in shit. No, it's to not that fair. at all. His family was the, the Dust Bowl side. I know. <laughs> no, I mean, these people, these were fucking survivors, and they were also, in le- they were smart people at the same time. Oh, yeah, and communism, honestly, in times of need, you're kind of like, this would be a great time. This is, would be great if, if the government could come and help us all come together and we can share I resources. I think that we could use a 5% dollop. I mean, we're not even giving kids lunches anymore. Yeah, it's yeah. unbelievable. Yeah, take a little. We could take a scoop out of the little ice cream there. I think so. I mean, for these people, capitalism had obviously failed so miserably, so miserably that the consequences of capitalism was dust pneumonia. Oh yeah, people were drowning in dust. That's that's horrible. Man, that's a whole other thing unlocked now. Man, I don't want to die in dust. There's been a lot of bad shit in this series. Yeah, I don't want to fucking die by drowning in dust. Yeah, yeah, dust pneumonia is a horrible way to die. But by the mid-50s, America was gripped by the Red Scare, and of course, led by Wisconsin Senator Joseph McCarthy. Yay! 
<laughs> and Oppenheimer. And his totally straight lawyer, Roy Cohn. <laughs> Completely straight. Totally. And Oppenheimer came into the Red Scare crosshairs in particular because he'd previously pissed off a McCarthy ally named Louis Strauss. No one liked his weepy fucking attitude. Everyone. Nobody liked him. Mm. Nobody, they were all over him. Because especially when he went to Truman, and there's that classic story where he walked into Truman's office and he was just like, the blood on my hands. Yeah, I can't believe. And then Truman throws him out of the office and he tells his old aides, don't let that motherfucker back in this office ever again. The blood was on my hands. I yeah. dropped the bomb. He just made it. Like he was Wait. this thing where it's like, so Oppenheimer wasn't making himself a popular Chris person. Chan met with Truman. <laughs> <laughs> No, that's a comic book. But the other thing on the other side, though, <laughs> everyone fucking hated Louis Strauss as well. Nobody liked anybody. <laughs> yeah, it but I will no say, one liked McCarthy. McCarthy yeah. showed he was like a little. He's like a Ted Cruz. Yes, yeah. he was like actually maybe worse. He's like I'm powerful, not sure. worse. but still everybody um, hates him. Far worse but than Ted Cruz. Just, yes, not far worse. But it does show you the <laughs> it power. It just shows how bad Ted Cruz is. You yeah. know what I mean? It shows how like he doesn't have the ability to be a true villain. Yeah. It shows you the power of just having a suitcase you don't open. Yeah. That's it. It literally <laughs> is just, just the Howie it. Mandel. Like, you don't want to know what I have in there. You don't know yeah. what's in this. Just full of snakes. It, was full of like it really was porno mags and booze. Well, Louis Strauss had a grudge against Oppenheimer because Oppenheimer had openly ridiculed one of Strauss's recommendations on atomic research during a public congressional hearing in 1951. So we're going to get a little sensitive here? Oh, yeah. 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 Krauss was, I mean, he was butthurt. To put, yes. it very, to put it very, very... I hate that term. I fucking can't stand it. But it worked for In this for case, him. he was butthurt. Yeah. Yes, in this case, yeah. Well, Strauss took this slight personally, and using previous intelligence that Oppenheimer had consorted with communists in the 30s, Strauss soon became convinced that Oppenheimer was a secret commie, and he got to work convincing others that Oppenheimer was a secret commie. And there's no because... I'm going to tell you this right now. There's no such thing as a secret communist. They, they tell let you. you know. They tell you immediately. It's like a vegan. Yeah. Yeah. But it's like, no, Oppenheimer was has been fighting being called a communist this entire fucking time. Yes, he has. He was like, I went to meetings back in the day. My girlfriend was one. Look at a picture of Rebecca. You telling me you wouldn't be a communist like, for her? Seriously, <laughs> I was not with nerds anymore. Dude, if I married Gwyneth Paltrow, somehow you're going to end up with a jade egg inside of you somewhere exactly. because that's what the family does. And you guys just don't get it. I don't know, Henry. The fucking communists I knew in New York were the biggest fucking nerds I knew. Different. Oh, this they, is are. Well, they are. This is when it was cool. <laughs> But yeah, they were yeah. funny, and they all worked at bookstores. <laughs> yeah, they so did. So that's actually very nice. It was. Yeah, yeah, yeah they, they were. Oh, yeah. And they, and they did the great, oh. Yeah, they did great fucking stuff for unionizing the Strand and all they that. Did. Like, they were fucking, they were amazing, but they were fucking nerds. That's the idea. Oh, you yeah. have to, because yeah. with a capitalist, you don't have to read a book to be a capitalist. <laughs> you can <laughs> have big tits, a great idea, and you can make it all the way to the top. It's but better the, if you don't. But a communist, you do have to read a lot of stuff. You do. It's too much reading, yeah. Yeah, you got to read a lot, and you got to be able to comprehend it. Theoretically, yeah. Now, as I said a few episodes back, scientists in the Manhattan Project with Soviet ties, this was not without precedent. Theoretical physicist Klaus Fuchs, as I said earlier, he'd been a key member of the Manhattan Project's inner circle, and it was discovered in 1949, years after we dropped the atomic bomb, that he'd been feeding information to the Soviets from day one. Yeah, they were already like only two years out. Yeah. This information had allowed the Soviets to cheat their way to nuclear weaponry an estimated seven to ten years sooner than if they'd been left to figure it out on their own. And oh, if they had fukes. just figured out an actual peaceful way of negotiating, working on this, because that was a problem with the Potsdam conferences. They were trying to figure out 
like, what do we do with nuclear weapons? And um, let's just say the Soviet Union wasn't being super chill. And so when we, <laughs> yeah. not that we were, because we just killed fucking half a million people well, using it. Not, 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 but the Potsdam Conference was before the, all this. But this was a part of the conversation of like, oh, you know what we'll do. Like after the fact, they're trying to figure out all these negotiations. It ain't working out. Well, no. well not only that, but like Truman had hinted to stop. Like Truman was like, he thought that he had, you know, to, you know, but had his number. He yeah. had a bomb, you know, to drop on. On Stalin, like where he was going to, he's yeah. like, you know, we've got this, you know, this super weapon that we're about to use on Japan. And he thought that Stalin was going to shit his pants, but Stalin already knew all about it yeah. because of Klaus Kuhn. It's already a, public information. And then yeah, Stalin and, just showed him a picture of a little dog named Laika. Isn't it Laika? Yeah, the one in space? Laika. Yeah, yeah, one. This is years later. This is much later. Yeah, Laika wasn't alive at that point. Laika was dead. <laughs> was dead. Uh, I mean, he uh, wasn't born yet. Really? <laughs> I wonder how old Laika was before they shot him up in the space. I think he was only like three or four. I think it was I pretty. He was with the puppy. Huh? But I had yeah. a whole point. Oh, okay. I had like a whole point. I don't remember what it was. What, what, I don't remember. But it's Stalin. Yeah. But Stalin, the Soviet Union, the U.S. We were fighting, but the Soviet Union was all mad. Seven. Then, they got that. They got it seven to ten years earlier than they should have. Because uh, Stalin already knew. Because this fucks guy. I like <laughs> Stalin's mustache. <laughs> it's a good mustache. <laughs> Man, I will say about World War II, powerful moments for the mustache. Oh, oh yeah. yeah. Oh, Oh, yeah. Some yeah. is so powerful they can't be repeated. Unless you're Michael Jordan. <laughs> yeah, you remember. You're literally at the Nazi station in Haynes commercial. Because yeah. what are you going to do? Again, yeah. he's allowed. He, he is the one American as well. No, but that's no. the thing, though, about Klaus Fuchs and feeding the information to the Soviet Union. It could be argued that objectively it was a good thing in the long run because it was the only thing that kept America from using nuclear weapons during the Korean War. Oh, yes. Oh. But J. Robert Oppenheimer was basically saying his message was the math is already there. They're going to get it no matter what. It's obvious. He's yeah. like, it's already there. From the theoretical papers, you can automatically extrapolate what you need from the forward to make a bomb. But yeah. So he was like, there's no even reason to keep a secret because yeah. anybody can figure it out. Isn't that why the Korean War is the forgotten war, though? Why? Because I think we didn't bomb anybody. I think <laughs> it's because, boom. because I know I'm a moron, but it's because I, any other war, for the most part, I can give you at least a basic, very basic rundown of like what it was about and what happened during it. For the most part, for America, the Korean War, no idea. It's, it's just a little proxy war gone fucking out of hand. It's very complicated. Yeah. And it, complicated. It, it's extremely complicated and it never ended. Also in North Korea right now, uh, it's officially illegal to commit suicide. Wow. Wow. They'll kill your whole family if you do. <laughs> That's kind of fun. I was about to ask how they were going to enforce that, but wow, that is is one hell of a punishment. It's a really good idea. If you hate your aunt, just kill yourself. (laughs) Also, if you survive, they kill you. That's true. (laughs) That is weird. Life is weird. It is. They kill you, but do they kill you and kill your family? Oh, I think they kill it. Yeah, they're just killing everyone. Wow. Now, that's incredible. Kind of in the twilight. It's good if you, whatever. Man, if I went to North Korea, though, I'd be, I'd be able to play, like, professional basketball. I don't think that you would be able to do anything. Yeah. <laughs> you see me, like, playing, like, you know, dunking on people and stuff. That'd be awesome. No, they make the, the hoops. No, the hoops in North Korea are still, still the same. No, yeah. they're, like, six and a half feet. It's, not, it's it, not the moon. You still can. <laughs> no, I jump higher there. No, I don't. I'm less gravity there. <laughs> But even though there was an ever-growing cabal determined to ruin Oppenheimer's reputation, General Leslie Groves, a loyal friend, even if he was a little bit evil at times, he stressed his emphatic belief that Oppenheimer's blood ran red, white, and blue. We had Look many opportunities that. to fuck everything up, and he didn't. Yeah. 
But even so, a four-week security hearing was held in 1954 to determine whether Oppenheimer should be allowed to keep his security clearance. And by a vote of two to one, Oppenheimer was pushed out of the government atomic research game. Wow, it was just a three-person panel? Mm-hmm. Dang. Eventually, though, the government came back around on Oppenheimer. In 1963, JFK presented Oppenheimer with the Enrico Fermi Award for Scientific Excellence. Nice. And the, Here's your fucking trophy. Yeah. Hey, you know, trophies are a big deal. The funny thing, though, is that, you know, they, the, the historians think that had it not been for the Red Scare, it would have been the Robert Oppenheimer Award yeah, for Scientific Excellence. he would have been president. He probably yeah. would have been president of the United States of America. Ah, he was too weird to be president. But, you know, Woodrow like Wilson. Woodrow what Wilson. About, if but you're that, talking about weirdos who have been president. But that was long before. That's the thing is that that was long before anybody actually knew what the president was like. Yeah. That was like 1900 or something. I'm just shit. saying he was a weirdo. He was more like 1911. Well, he was the one that really brought in the fucking corporatocracy. Yeah. Weird long it's nose. Kind of tiny glasses. Yeah. KKK member. Oh, wow. Wow. <laughs> wow. <laughs> or at the very least, KKK sympathizer, which Adjacent. is the same thing. Yeah. So that's what they say. You know what you call a person who uh, puts up with Nazis? A Nazi. That's right. Yeah. If, not, if one you man know, sits with nine Nazis at a table, you have 10 Nazis at a table. That's right. Bold statements. <laughs> Two years later, though, Oppenheimer was diagnosed with lung cancer due to his chain smoking. Oh. And by 1967, he was dead, although he had been vindicated. <laughs> it's great. And really nice, even make us a fucking Really nice. Yeah. He was dead. He, he was, was dead. He was dead. Okay. And clouds of crows descended. <laughs> did he melt? At any point, did he slough? Yeah, what else fucking worse happened? Yeah. Did he just fucking brain yeah. turned to a place where they fucking euthanized a bunch of, like, blind children? <laughs> but he was vindicated by the scientific community by the end of it. His place in history, however, in full retrospect, is complicated to say the least mm. and will likely remain so forever. I know it'll be very quickly wrapped up in that three-hour movie. Yeah. I know, I'm and I very just, excited. And that movie's going to tell us all what happened in a way and we're all going to be like, oh, Robert Oppenheimer, you're the best guy I've I seen. Have, I have some faith no, in this feature be... film. It also comes out on my birthday. That's nice. Well, the, uh, I already got tickets for it. The person who wrote uh, American Prometheus came out of it and said that it was highly historically accurate. Oh, sure, They, sure. they said that it's like, it's a chilling movie. No, of course. Yeah, Christopher yeah. Nolan's not going to fuck up. I yeah. am excited. I mean, he could. Oh, yeah, sure. <laughs> totally I mean, again, send us money. Yeah, send yeah. us money yeah. for it. Yeah. yeah, all we're doing is making it. I just gave an advertisement. Yeah, we did. For, we don't, for we the get fucking nothing. movie. We get nothing. I, I haven't no, even we seen never it get yet. anything. Yeah, you're on strike. You shouldn't even be working, Christopher Nolan. Well, it's not the strike. It's all you've done. Whatever, it doesn't matter. Yeah. All right, so now my turn. Your turn for a bit. It's really okay. quick. You know what's... Okay. Are we getting into the grays now? He's big into this entire... bit. Listen. Okay, so number one. What happened there? Right? Well, we just did six episodes. With what? What are we even talking about? Uh, we're right? talking about the atomic bomb. And Number two, you know what we've been talking about this whole time? Opening up the universal cloaca to alien attention. Okay. Right? I, I believe it's possible. So we now know. 1945. Sure. Bomb. Big deal. And let's go ahead. Huge deal. And, <laughs> and let's big go ahead and say, let, let's put on top of this, let's put a veneer of respectability due to the fact that alien or at the very least unidentified aerial phenomena have been proven to be in existence. Well, now the, the, there's, least, a, there's a veneer of respectability. We're starting. To Henry. Sure, I agree. I'm just saying. If I'm, not, I'm, I'm already in. Basically. If what David Grush's current whistleblower is talking about is remotely true, there is a whole chapter of American history that is also then true, mm -hmm. which is really fucking wacky. 
And one of those chapters, one of the couple of series pages in that chapter, we will definitely be talking about with seriousness. If David Grush's stuff comes out to be actually vaguely real. And he's the new whistleblower. He is just on television. It is what happened July 3rd, 1947 in Roswell, New Mexico. Yes. Now we know. That on the Brazel farm, that sunny desert day, an object that they did not comprehend crash landed in that field and created mm-hmm. a three-fourths long mile series of debris. And you right? know the first thing the aliens were told? Oh, it gets cold at night. It's a desert. But you just, you know, you're going to want to wear a jacket. It gets really hot in the afternoon. Uh, you don't have the weather. Uh, wait five minutes. <laughs> Which is what everybody says about every city you've ever been to and well, every city you've ever lived in. It's true sometimes. Um, But... So this, uh, this obviously, this object crashed. The Brazel Farm. These, these very scared men who are so used to seeing these things because they've been, oh, they're around all these various areas right. where, uh, you know. Project Mogul is currently being tested. They've mm-hmm. seen these objects in the sky. We know that Los Alamos is only three and a half mile hours south of this location. And what's right next to it is Roswell Air Base. So they see all of this debris. They don't know what the fuck it is. It's been left out there for days, which is also very interesting. We should go on to disprove their idea that it was some experimental balloon, Project Mogul, blah, blah, blah. Mm -hmm. So they called the Royal Air Base. Guess who is occupying the Roswell Air Base? The 509th group. The guys that were the flight team that flew the Enola Gay to go drop the bombs on Hiroshima. That crew, including their bombardier, a guy named Jesse Marshall, went over, was the first man to see the wreckage that happened. He's like, this is the weirdest shit I've ever seen. This is a guy that is used to, to think about it, this guy who went through the training in the Manhattan Project. Yeah. He was like, what in the living fuck is all this stuff? He packed it into a bunch of boxes, took it back to his home, showed his kids all of this weird shit. This like weird aluminum foil that you pull apart and then it would collapse back in on itself. These eye beams with weird like symbols drawn. Don't know what the fuck it is. He brings it to his commander. His commander gives the okay to go to the newspapers and say, we have found footage, we have found the wreckage of a flying saucer, which is where we get that very famous picture, where we get the very famous headline, where, you know, like UFOs found in Roswell, blah, blah, blah. But then the next day, he takes Jesse Marshall into another room, and he's like, this is the stuff you found, and hands him a box, Mm. and it's just weather balloon wreckage. And then he takes out, and that's where we get the picture of Jesse Marshall holding up that piece of weird aluminum foil in the newspaper, disproving it. Then then you see actually flying saucer was a weather balloon. We don't know now what the fuck it is. It's just like wild to think that all in this area, Mm -hmm. this shit's all happening at once. So that's the thread. That's the thread, yeah. All right. No, dude, that's real. But No, I love it. I mean, I think that's fascinating. But what if there's something to nuclear abilities, right? Because we know the fact that Greys got interested in us because of this ability. Why? I don't know. Are Greys just future human? I have this, like, idea. Do they already have the ability? This is, like, a highfalutin idea. This is, like, dumb, super sci-fi based, right? What if nuclear signatures are bookmarks throughout time and allows time-traveling objects, which is kind of what David Grush is kind of hinting at, that they're saying that the stuff that we're finding at the bottom of the ocean is actually... He, he keeps saying it's not from this earth, that maybe it's something either in the, a, a dimension that's in the future and they're literally coming back. And maybe that's how they find other points in time is from nuclear signatures. So you want to have more nuclear explosions. No, I'm you just want saying, more bombs. So you want I, more bombs, more interactions just, with the alien life. This guy, form. Jesse it Marshall. It's just crazy. This guy, Jesse Marshall's just, life is just fucking nuts. The fact that you're tied into all of this shit at once yeah. is like very like 
He was a strange man. Sounds like he had a hell of a life. We should just, is there any place on earth we can just like bomb a whole bunch and just be like, come on, hang out? The moon, right? <laughs> no, we can't blow up the moon. No, but just on the, set off bombs on the moon. You think yeah. that's close enough and then we can meet on the moon, neutral territory? Well, the moon could certainly be very important to us in the future if, as Henry said, we could uh, build nuclear bases up there. Well, that'd be our way you station. Know. Yeah, maybe, and then we could bring nuclear power cells down mm-hmm. to uh, Earth via a gigantic space elevator. Yeah, the space Hubble, The Hubble just had some new pictures released as well. Mm-hmm. Now, by the 1980s, it was generally agreed upon amongst historians that President Truman was well aware of all the alternatives to end the war without using the bomb. He knew that we didn't need to invade Japan to secure a victory, and he knew that the claim that the bomb had to be dropped to save American lives was a lie used to sell the bomb to the American public. The actual reasons why he chose to drop the bomb, however, are many. They range from, we spent a lot of money on this fucking thing, so we got to use it. We got to show the Soviets that we mean business. It could even have just been fucking simple revenge against the Japanese for dragging us into a war that was by all accounts a blood-soaked horror show from beginning to end. It killed over 40,000 Americans, wounded almost 150,000 more. There was this fucking grudge. Yeah. Oh, yeah. In the end, though, it was probably a combination of all three. Oh, yeah. The fact remains, however, that just the existence of nuclear weaponry can be hard to fully comprehend. The Manhattan Project was such a massive turning point in human history that it's hard to put into words what it really meant for mankind to split the atom. We just did six episodes. Yeah, we did, though. It's actually, we did try to. 18 pages of script per episode. You do the fucking math. Yeah, yeah. You technically can. This is a book. It's close to it. It's it's like a third of a book. Yeah, well. Now, I'm not going to say that we should all come together to push for nuclear disarmament because, frankly, it isn't up to us, and it never was. The doomsday clock has been close to midnight for a long time and shows no sign of turning back anytime soon. No, they just put it fucking five seconds closer to midnight. It's, it's, it's turn it back. Yeah. <laughs> And no amount of protest is going to change that. See, with atomic weaponry, humanity ripped something from the grip of nature itself and introduced it into the world without thinking of the consequences beyond the nearsighted view Mm -hmm. of one tribe trying to scare another tribe with a bigger stick. Is it weird to say that makes me more proud of us? (laughs) I mean, it's so simple and so complex all at the same time. Like other powerful technological innovations like, say, social media, it's quite possible that humans simply can't be trusted with nuclear weapons. We're too violent, too volatile, too temperamental. In fact, it is a miracle that only two nuclear weapons have been used in aggression since their inception almost 80 years ago. But on the other hand, perhaps it isn't a miracle. Yeah, it's a gift from time travelers who came in order to, we had to invent nuclear technology in order to create the hole in the gap that allows them to shoot through time sections to our time. Okay. Thank you for that. Thank That's you for a very inject- important piece of information. That. He's talking about time flaps. <laughs> <laughs> well, perhaps we can handle that power because we've been handling it. Aside, of course, from a couple of close calls and oopsie doos that almost ended the world during the Cold War. I mean, that seems also- like a real big yada yada. But <laughs> we did just kind of briefly talk about that that one plane that just accidentally dropped something over North Carolina. Oh, yeah, ten years ago, yeah, that bomb just like rolled around so, the street. Yeah, 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 yeah the flock but of geese, is- the flock of geese that almost uh, ended the world. So on and so it forth. It is amazing how the human brain just wraps it all up together and just be like, oh, I guess that happens. Yeah. yeah, but even so, in every case. There was someone in the room with enough intelligence mm. and compassion to prevent the world from blowing up. There was always someone there to keep it from happening. And if history is any indication, we have a good chance of that trend continuing. In fact, 
Considering how many military personnel we have who listen to this show, it may one day be up to one of you to be that person. So go forth with mercy. <gasps> and if it is ever your choice to decide whether or not to press that button, remember the people of Hiroshima and Nagasaki. And of course, when he means press that button, get that Uber Eats, you're going to want to have lunch and you'll be different when you're done. <laughs> as far as I'm concerned, the only bombs I'm dropping are the jokes I'm telling. There That's you go. right. Yeah, well, buddy. Wow. All right. I mean, it is very scary. Humans brought us into this. Science brought us here as well. But it is just, it does, like the man who, the man who saved the world, fantastic documentary about the Russian. Oh, mm-hmm. yeah. It's just one person. Yeah. Just one guy. Man, you just got to hope they make the right decision it's at the an, right time. But It's the X factors of history we bring up <sighs> all the time. It's that human element. It's just somebody it's who's keeping us alive. Mm-hmm. And it's we just kind of kind of keep that playing that whole, like, let's keep yeah. us alive game. You know how, like, people fail up all the time? Yeah. So then it's just like. That is true. But I, I do. Oh, we have faith. We have faith. We have faith. We have, we have to have faith. Yeah. Because uh, if we don't, then this fucking weird chaos magic ritual that we accidentally did many years ago yeah. that seems to manifest things out in the world after we talk about them on this show. It's happened, I think, about three dozen times we now. We just have to keep Let's knocking on wood. We just have to keep knocking, knocking on wood, keep on wood knocking and knocking positivity out there so that we don't manifest some sort of nuclear explosion. I'm more scared of all the sonar weapons. <laughs> well, sonar so weapons are weapons rough. so weapons I'm be scared of. And then, like, you know, there's the great goop. We can do a great goop incident where our nano machine uh, technology kind of goes haywire oh, and, we've already and seen makes it. a giant encompassing gray goop to yeah, destroy the, the world. There's also solar flares that we still we're still waiting for the big one. George yeah. Nori, so afraid to this day. Yep, and about the solar flare. So there's so many ways for everything to end. So I'm actually still holding out for that. Yeah, yeah. I'm and holding out for the solar flare as well. Yeah, because we can come back from that. I'm sort slowly. Of hold- the first couple months are gonna be rough. Yeah, I'm holding out for Godzilla. Oh, Godzilla. Man, this was crazy, dude. So much work. Good work, Marcus. Thank you. Thank you to our whole research team that helped us with fucking everything. Thank you to Madeline Shaw, who I will say is a co-producer on this series. Oh, yeah. She she did a great job. Joel did great work. I want to thank Rob and Fernando. They've been working on the show. We want to thank all everybody. We did it. We landed her in the harbor. We did. All right, everyone. Thank you so much for listening. Yeah, come and check it out. We've got a couple of special announcements. We are going to be in San Diego. At the San Diego Comic Con. I know Friday was our day. Friday, and I think we're going to be nice. uh, signing on Friday and doing a panel on Saturday and probably signing on Saturday as well. So yep. we'll see y'all there. We'll, well see there you there. go. And I'm going to be in Las Vegas that weekend, yucking it up on Sunday at some place in Las Vegas. I think it's called Wise Guys. You go see that motherfucker. <laughs> and then, if you were in the Los Angeles area, come and see us do the final performance of our tour, uh, Mamma Mia, Here We Go Again, That's at nice. the Palace Theater, November 4th. But for those of you that cannot be in town to see it live, we're going to do one last finals big stream show yes, big to stream. get this tour out of our butthole absolutely um, thank you all so much for supporting the shows and the last podcast network everyone's doing such a great job and our little serious ventures as well and do we have anything else other than the normal stuff thanks for all your support everyone yeah thanks for listening to this series I hope you learned something hope you laughed and, I uh, hope you hope didn't. Don't have to ever... I hope you fucking cried. Well, it, it's a bit of both. <laughs> they might have. That's the power of this show. Yeah. You oh, laugh, wow. you cry, you <laughs> learn, you think. And then also you're dumber. Yeah, and yeah. you're also Which dumber. Is all so bizarre. Yeah. It all evens out. It really does. Don't worry. Our next series is going to make you much stupider. 
Mm-hmm. I can't wait for that. I'm real. I need to just bathe in cryptid blood. We got some. I Let's just see. want cryptid talk for the next like month. We'll do it. All right, everyone, hail yourselves. Hail Satan again. Megustalation. Hail me. Bye. Never drop a bomb again. Don't drop the bomb. Don't do it. No, send soda. Oh, kill them with sugar. I mean, honestly, Iron Brew is maybe more dangerous than the atomic bomb. No, it used to be. It's Iron Brew, and it used to be dangerous until they took all the fucking sugar out of it, and now it's not as good. Good lord. All right. This show is made possible by listeners like you. Thanks to our ad sponsors. You can support our shows by supporting them. For more shows like the one you just listened to, go to lastpodcastnetwork.com. Emmy Award-winning John Mulaney presents Everybody's in L.A., a special run of six live episodes created by and starring Mulaney that'll stream live on Netflix during the Netflix is a Joke Fest. The comically unconventional show will feature special guests where John Mulaney explores the city of Los Angeles during a week when every funny person is in it. Watch John Mulaney Presents Everybody's in L.A., debuting May 3rd live at 7 p.m. Pacific Time, only on Netflix. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. It says here I have to talk about something I need to get off my chest, and I guess I can share it here. I I eat mayonnaise for fun. It's a hobby of mine, and it's an addiction. It's a daily weight on my life. How much I need whipped egg whites and oil crammed into my veins. As soon as I wake up, and a lot of people carry around a lot of different stressors, big and small. Some people are presidents. Some people are soldiers. Some people have to eat mayonnaise, especially with hard-boiled eggs, which is what I eat for lunch. But I guess I should share that in therapy. Because therapy is a safe place to get things off your chest and to figure out how to work through whatever's weighing you down. And what I do is I just add eggs if I have mayonnaise left over. I just continue to add the eggs. But if you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. I hope they can help me. My God. I hope they can help me. Get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com slash LastPod today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp. H-E-L-P dot com slash LastPod.